Okay, this is the last episode of the year, and I decided to interview Rosalind Cruz for many reasons. And one reason it was because she was being quoted on the internet a lot, and I feel like a lot of people were taking her out of context or using her for their own reasons. For examples, for one example, news articles would quote her, but they wouldn't publish the whole interview between uh, Rosalind and her, right? Um, especially non-native news articles. And um, people on the internet would contact Rosalind, then they would say stuff like, they'll use her to be like, oh, I, you know, to defend their positions, whatever, or be like, oh, I interviewed Rosalind, she said this, you know, or, or they would say, I interviewed, or I spoke to Rosalind, or I DM Rosalind, private message Rosalind, and she's untrustworthy. Right. So a lot of people were throwing her words around, throwing around her tweets and, you know, making assumptions about her, you know, and trying to discredit her or trying to just use her for their her, their own purposes. And I feel like I wanted to interview her so she can say things of her own words and she could, you know, tell her own story and people can hear her unedited. Right. So um, that's that. Whether we want to believe uh, Sashin is a native or a pretendian, I'm not here to change your mind. You know, if you believe whatever you believe, you know, before this rec podcast recording, before the, this episode, you know, I probably won't change your mind. So I'm not here to change people's minds. But whether we want to believe she's native or not, uh, Sashin, aka Marie Cruz, is part of Native history, right? And Rosalind's story, part of her story, and Rosalind's, um, uh, you know, voice is now also part of Native history. So, you know, this is an opportunity to hear, you know, uh, her side of the story. I know at the same time that I'm gonna have the anti-Keeler crowd attacking me. So straight up, I'm gonna say this right now, uh, Jacqueline didn't ask me to do to do this episode. She didn't, you know, she didn't do anything producing wise. And I'm not here to convince you whatever your opinions opinion is on on Jacqueline. I'm not here to you know convince you that you know whatever the hell you you know believe. People that usually uh, dislike Jacqueline, you know, there's no talking to with them. So. But I, I will say this, I know they're going to come after me in this podcast. They have in the past, it's like their obsession to attack anybody around Jacqueline or anybody that's ever associated with Jacqueline that, you know, there were other podcasts uh, that were native that released episodes of Sashin and they called Sashin a pretendian and they said nothing. This crowd said nothing, right? So if they come attacking this episode, you know, attacking the podcast, like me, just I want to point out that when this other native podcast called Sashin Pretendian, they said nothing, right? So it's very hypocritical for them to just come at me, you know, all aggressive. Uh, I'm like, like I said, I'm here to change your mind on, on Marie Cruz, uh, Sashin Littlefeather, and whatever you believe in her in your mind about her. This is just to give Rosalind an opportunity to speak and share her story. So this episode is a really long episode. It's like over three hours. The first half is me, Liana, and Joe 
Liana's Cherokee and Joe Ishiaki um, to interview Rosalyn. And uh, in the second half of the interview, uh, me, Liana, and Joe analyzed the interview. And we also analyzed what happened online after the news came out about Sashin Lewefeather, aka Marie Cruz. Uh, I talk about um, a re really quick, really quickly about mestizaje and um, Mexican nationalism. And uh, Joe talks about the Yaqui people in Mexico and how the Mexican government um, would sell a conversation, you know, since, you know, people were claiming that Sashin is Yaqui, I thought it was good to have Joe on because he is Yaqui, he's enrolled, right? So, and speak about uh, Yaqui community and Yaqui history. And I think, um, you know, just listen, listen to it yourself, for yourself, and, you know, just, you know, uh, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and all that just is a really long episode, so here. Thanks. Okay, we're here. Uh, this is the beginning of the interview with Rosalind Cruz, right? Rosalind, is that? Yes. Okay, yes. And before we get uh, start to interview you, I would like to ask the other two co-hosts, uh, I think they're both uh, first-time co-hosts on this podcast. Uh, can you please introduce yourself? We'll start with Liana. Hi. Yes, my name is Liana Costantino. I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation who lives in North Carolina, and I am the director of TAF, the Tribal Alliance Against Frauds, and it is lovely to be here with you, Rick. Thank you. Joe? Okay, Rick. Um, my name is Dr. Joe Candio. I am a tribal citizen of the Pasquayaki tribe of Arizona. I uh, have my PhD in American Indian Studies with a concentration, I guess, in American Indian Studies with a um, American Studies uh, PhD, a master's degree in American Indian Studies, and then a undergraduate degree, Bachelor of Science in Anthropology. I currently own and operate a business called Authentic Native American Arts. I am a native artisan, and I um, am an avid, uh, avid activist uh, associated specifically with uh, promoting and um, marketing authentic Native American uh, traditional arts. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so before we have, uh, move forward, I'm pretty sure there's, there's going to be a lot of people that have never listened to this podcast because of the topic. So I, I will introduce myself. My name is Rick. I'm a Comanche tribal member. I also have a master's in Native American law from the University of Oklahoma. And I run this podcast with other co-hosts. I have so many co-hosts. Yeah, and we, we talk different topics on this podcast. But the reason why we are touching this subject and talking to Rosalind is because uh, Sashin Littlefeather, uh, or AKA Marie Cruz, right? Um, she has been part of Native history for so long, but Recently, there's been <clears throat> allegations that she is a pretendian. She's not native. And uh, and there's, there's been a lot of ruckus online, especially on Twitter, about what, you know, Jacqueline Keeler's article. And a lot of people like to spin the stories or spin narratives about Jacqueline Keeler or uh, Rosalind, right? 
so I would I would want to hear Rosalind's point of view herself, one on one. You know, one as as you know, hear out of her own mouth and let her speak for herself. So, um, so before we start, oh, as we're starting, Rosalind, can you please introduce yourself? Thank you. It's great to be here. It's my first podcast ever with anyone. And um, my name is Rosalind Cruz, and I am the youngest surviving sister of Marie Louise, or known as Sashin Littlefeather. And our other sister is the other surviving sister, which is Trudy Orlandi. Thank you. Um, so before we even talk about Marie Cruz, uh, I, I want to ask you about your parents. I, I want to ask you about growing up, because, you know, as we get to the story of you know, Sashin or Marie, um, we, you know, a lot of like things that, that come up on Twitter or online is about your parents, who were they, and about where you grew up and how you grew up. So can you talk about your parents and how did you grow up? And where yes, did you I, grow up? I love to. Um, our father was Manuel Ibarra Cruz. He was born in 1922 in Oxnard, California. And he has a full-blooded sister by the name of Lucille and a half-blooded sister by the name of Mercy. Our father was one of the best saddle makers of his time, learning his trade in San Francisco. At some point, he did move to Arizona, where we do have relatives. And I lived there for one year with my parents at four years old. Just to be clear, I was aware as a young child that not only did we have our Aunt Mercy next door, but a few generations going back, nothing of Native American but Hispanic were mentioned. And um, my father was a saddle maker at Porter's, which is historic now, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. They're famous for their saddles. And our, our grandfather, George, and this is important, his name is George Cruz, who I met once at a distance in Salinas, California, where we were all born and raised, was an alcoholic. And he had tuberculosis as well at some point. He was abusive to my father and beat him drunk. And our grandmother, Gertrude Yabara Cruz, died around age 22. So he was separated from his parents early on. Her death is unknown. I do have one picture of her. She was described as having dark carrot red hair with brilliant green eyes. Um, and as a child, my father um, started to build chicken coops for extra money. Plus, at that point, he was taken to foster homes and different family members. He was sh shuffled around. At nine years old, he contracted meningitis. He was lived in poverty, so it wasn't like he could get a shot and it left him deaf in both ears. So he was not a mute in which Marie claims, but our father did remember what it was like to speak. And he learned sign language and to read lips in both English and Spanish as he spoke both languages. He did grow up in poverty and as any child of an alcoholic had a temper. His uh, true sister, Lucille, was adopted by family members. And our father, he had a horse he rode in Arizona in the desert, as I have a picture of him as a young man. Maybe he was 16 or 17 years old. He was very 
self-sufficient, driven, intelligent, and ambitious, a good, hardworking man. He was not an alcoholic or abusive to us, as Marie describes. Although from the meningitis, he had a buildup of fluid and tissue that put pressure on his hearing nerve, which caused him to have violent outbursts, you know, throwing dishes around or screaming and yelling because it was very, very painful. Plus, you know, he had anger issues as any child would from a child of an alcoholic, and he never drank, never saw the man drink, smoke, do nothing. Um, and so he complained of having hearing noises, such as a train going through his head. He would lean back to relieve the pressure and noises. And I have letters and a brochure from a Dr. Grant in Pasadena, California, discussing a possible surgery. Unfortunately, due to the distance, because we're in Salinas and Pasadena is about eight hours away, money, raising a family, and having our own business, having his skull operated on, he just, it just never took place. Then followed the terminal cancer, and that was before chemo or radiation. Uh, It was a mission of operations to remove cancer tissue, a partial lung, ribs, um, eventually leading to spreading all over his body. I remember the surgery scars looked like railroad tracks, but he kept working with little strength, walked with one cane as he now had a cancer mass growing at his tailbone. At that point, he started to live in our saddle shop until he was admitted to the hospital for what seemed like an eternity, developed a brain tumor, went into a coma, gasping to breathe for hours and died. My mother, her parents, and our grandparents, Trudy and I, were present. Marie was away at college. Looking back, I doubt if she even cared unless she could uh, play the victim role for that one, um, Narcissus. I, I had just turned nine. My father died September 23rd, 1966, at 44 years old. And I was so young. Um, But given his unfortunate upbringing, he was a self-made man, a hard worker, self-employed family man with little to no outside resources. And I believe he was highly successful for everything that he was given. I know that um, later in 2010, per my mother's request, I saved money for a tombstone and had it placed at Santa Rita Graveyard, historical site for Our Lady of Guadalupe Church, which is his favorite saint, exactly 44 years after his death. Considering he died at 44 years, it's what I consider God's timing, which is always perfect. Each year, I would clear the top of his grave from weeds in the rainy season, turn the soil with wildflower seeds and come back in late March or April to see the top of his grave covered in wildflowers. It was an honor to do this for my parents, especially my father, now knowing all the vicious and slanderous lies by Marie, who created her alter ego, Sashin. What an insult to injury after the life our father had and short life at 44 years had been given To have your firstborn lie about you for personal gain, that's ruthless. And after his death, um, where our father could not defend himself, 
And I find it very odd that everyone says, oh, Sashin died. She can't defend herself. Well, as my family died one by one, she took advantage of that. This is why I'm here to give him a voice, our family a voice. Our father was never intimidated by anyone and neither am I. Let the truth be revealed. I am his daughter. So on, oh, on that portion, there's my mother. Unless you want to save that for a little bit later. No, we can talk about your mom now. Okay. So my mother was born in Santa Barbara, California in 1923. Her name is Gerald Marie Barnett. Her parents were Gerald and Marie Barnett. She was named after my grandfather. So they just named her Geraldine. And they lived next door, probably about 100 feet away. Our mother was an artist. She played piano, um, went to Catholic school, served in the Navy in World War II, an avid swimmer of the beaches in Santa Barbara, and later learned the skill of leather stamper. Our grandfather, Gerald, is of German-French descent, and our grandmother, Marie, is of Dutch-French descent. And I have found out that some of them were royal nobility landing in the Boston area and so forth. Recently, Trudy and I had a good laugh as she said, Marie had our grandparents coming over from Ellis Island. I said, you know where that came from? She said, where? I go, the godfather. I go, leave it to Marie to lie and steal someone else's story like our father. By the way, our ancestors arrived way before the immigration of Ellis Island. That's why we thought it was so funny. Anyway, my mother and her parents moved to Phoenix, Arizona, where she got a job at Porter's Western Store as a leather stamper. All custom work at Porter's was done on the second floor. And my mother told me that some guys who worked at Porter's didn't think my father was deaf. So they took a heavy object and dropped dropped it behind him. He felt the vibration and she thought it was a cruel joke. Excuse me, I took notes when I put all this out. Her mother was absolutely beautiful, but plain, painfully shy and afraid of people from what she told me. A sweet, kind soul, somewhat delusional to her own actions, but very intuitive on others. My mother said my father wrote a sign and put it over her stamping decks that said, wolves beware. Funny way of saying she's mine just because he was deaf. He wasn't stupid. Mom talked of them having dates, driving in an old Model T and riding on the back of his horse in the desert. My grandmother didn't like my father for various reasons. I think because he was deaf, his upbringing and being Hispanic. What I do know is my grandfather's my great-grandmother's Van Bronckhorst didn't like my grandfather because he was Catholic. So there you go. Prejudice has no boundaries. Eventually, my grandmother made peace with her father. Our parents married in Phoenix, Arizona, then moved to Salinas, California, where Marie was born in 1946. My sister Trudy was born in 1950. And... In me in 1957, our mother worked with my father as husband and wife at Garcia Saddle Shop in Salinas, California. 
owned by Henry Garcia. My father was his best saddle maker and my mother his best stamper. Our grandfather took it upon himself to help raise us with my grandmother. My grandfather Barnett's traveled on the Greyhound bus that picked him up each day one hour to work at the San Jose Mercury newspaper. And that was a long, long trade that he had in the newspaper business. So our grandfather, he sent us to Catholic school. Um, Marie went to Sacred Heart Catholic School. Later, we went to Madonna del Sasso in Salinas, California. Uh, we went to church every Sunday, followed by breakfast downtown sometimes and a country drive. Our grandmother had us active in 4-H, growing our own garden for food, county fairs, ballet, which Marie gained her toes. That's what they call it when you... Uh, succeed in that. And also, um, we did tap dancing. We also sewed our own clothes, and it was cheaper and participated in county fairs. That's how Marie got her name, Sashin. It's Sashin Ribbon Company. So Marie just changed the S to C. In my understanding, that's why no tribe has been able to place it. Just like wearing a buckskin plains dress instead of a traditional Apache and hairstyle to the Oscars. I don't know how anybody didn't catch that one. So that's it about my parents on that one. Oh, okay, thank, thank you. Um, does Liana or Joe have any questions about her parents or growing up before we move forward to the next question? Well, I just wanted to just say how beautiful of a story that that was uh Rosalind, you know you bringing honor and dignity to your family i think is um it's 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 absolutely beautiful that you do that and i i hope someday i can do the same thing for for my parents because i think it's a, a very honorable and dignified thing I, that's that's all i really have to say uh <laughs> thank you Leanna, i think you have some something to say I was going to say that I was going to defer to Joe, but I will certainly agree with that. I, it's it's really nice to hear the story as a story, a family story like that, to have a chance to hear Rosalind tell the story of her family. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so next question is, did you know, were there, you know, growing up with your family, were there any stories of you being native or did you grow up as a native person or you know anytime you know your upbringing did you grow you know it, were you ever told this no we were just like any other american family growing up in the neighborhood you know we didn't have we didn't grow up in a shack we had a very modest uh home my grandparents lived next door we had a saddle shop in front there was no poverty there was no prejudice um just living in Salinas, California, we lived for the Rodeo, which hit once a year, 4-H, county fairs, our horses are that we had a stable there that we rode. Um, you know, just living in the country, playing with kids, going to school, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, except for my father's health. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're just basic American family, like all the other families. You know, I have good memories of when we went trick-or-treating. My mom made popcorn balls and one other mother made candy apples. I, so, yeah. 
I have I a just, question. So sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah. So, so there was a misconception online. I think we, me and you spoke about it. That um, it was like Marie said that y'all didn't have a, a toilet, but you're telling me you did have a toilet, like a regular, you know, modern to toilet. We had a regular house, just like you would, and that your kids would go. And there's a. It was a full bathroom. Our house happened to be a two bedroom house. We had a floor heater, we had a living dining room, we had a separate kitchen, and we had a bathroom with a tub and a toilet and a sink and a linen closet. I guess one thing that we did have that was unusual that most people don't have is we had a full-size chalkboard in the hallway. And the reason that we had that chalkboard is before we learned sign language, which I learned later, so that we could communicate with uh, our father. Okay, thank you. So yeah, the next I, question, oh, so sorry, go ahead. You know, I, to kind of capitalize on that, I do, I do remember reading some things she said about, yeah, I remember the toilet thing. I thought that was laughable, but uh, being, uh, having to be put on the back of a bus, which was ridiculous and being ripped away from her grandparents or us at three years old because our parents were mentally ill. Well, how do two mentally ill people have two more kids and run a business and then, and their family's living next door and you're going to ballet school and seeing your sisters? I mean, the whole thing's absurd. And it's something about how she had to be bused across town and uh, things that just didn't exist in Salinas, California. Everything that she described did not exist, except in her mind. So my, my question is too, so uh, I know, so I know Trudy is the middle child, right? Correct. And so, and so she's older than you. So when you speak to Trudy about, you know, because you know, she has memories, you know, because she's older that you don't have. So when Correct. you speak to Trudy about growing up, does she ever like uh, correlate with Marie's memories or did she say no that was wrong when you speak to her how you know when you speak to Trudy how does how does how do things go with that <clears throat> we're on the same page she knows that um Sashin lives in a fantasy world we've always seen it although when I did speak with Trudy Sashin is a born narcissist and she I told Trudy, I said, you know, you were her first victim. She was the one that she could cultivate on, that she could prey on, that she could try to play victim saint with. And my mom fell into a lot of that, um, not knowing when you have kids. And sometimes kids do that as pranks. You know, my my brother Johnny did that. And then the mom will go to Johnny and say, oh, your brother Shane said you did this and, and kind of play them against each other. Which Sashin later did between Trudy and I, but we're both on the same page um, where we've always known that she's over-exaggerated and that she lives in a fantasy world. We never, I guess as a family, when you're dealing with someone like that, that you put your foot down when needed. But on the other hand, if they're not harming anybody, then you just let it go. Mm -hmm. Okay, since yeah, since we're getting into this, so my question 
Oh, I don't know. Before maybe before I move forward, should I ask Liana or Joe? Uh, do they have any follow up questions, or should we move to the next question? I um, I just have a a question. Um, you know, in I feel like obviously, if something like this happened in my family, um, I I do not have brothers or sisters, but I think I would certainly feel a certain level of of um i would feel a need to kind of set the record straight which is i believe what's occurring here um but today rosalind do you do you harbor today do you harbor any ill will towards your sister or do you do you today just accept that you know it is what it is god rest her soul you know what is your position on that today when i found out how she slandered our family to the extent of people looking at her as a saint. Um, when our family were good, hardworking people, I'm absolutely disgusted with her. I think that someone of that mentality is ruthless, um, evil, self-serving. And if you look the word narcissistic up in the dictionary, you should find her core because that's what she's all about. Um, and it was time for somebody in this family to put their foot down. Like I said, I haven't um, dealt with her in 13 years. A large reason of that is the treatment she gave our mother before she died, which was abusive and it led to her death. And I'll leave it at that. And I always told her, when I saw her in an emergency, I said, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to expose you for who you really are because people don't know. So I've been at this since 2007. Now, who's going to listen to me when you've got this woman, Marie, who's made this alter ego, Sasheen Littlefeather, is going around. And as I see it today, because I didn't know anything about pretendians or the issue within the tribal nation. All she did was hijack your problems and make it hers. I actually had put something out on my Twitter page and I had said, can anyone please explain to me what my sister did since the 73 Oscars? One guy came back with, she made a few movies. And then he came back with, they were disturbing. That was put out probably four days ago, and that is the only response I've gotten. And then I thought about it further, and I thought, and Trudy and I were laughing about this Mother Teresa thing. She had a picture taken with her. That would be like me taking a picture with a pope, and all of a sudden I'm his you know, right-hand man. It just goes on and on and on. And this insanity has gone on so long and at the cost of not only hurting my family, but now she's hurting other people. So I'm looking at it at a, at a whole different scale. And finally, um, you know, like I said, it's funny. God's timing is always perfect. Well, I've been looking for journalists to listen to me since 2007. I ran across Jacqueline. I don't know anything about her and, you know, what she does, her activism. But the common denominator that we did have was that Salshin was a fraud. 
And from there, she had an article um, situated to be printed in the San Francisco Chronicle. I had gotten a hold of her probably a week before that, and it changed the dynamic. So here we are today. Thank you. Um, does Leanna have a question? I think you had your mic unmuted. I'm not sure if you had a question. No, and it seems to take me a second to get it to unmute. Sorry about that. Okay. I, I think I will have a question, but I think it's going to fit better with uh, one of your questions that you've got coming up. So I'm going to wait. But thank you, Rosalind. You're welcome. Okay, uh, so I have a question. Can you tell me about the situation regarding your birth certificate? Yes. I was talking with my middle sister, Trudy, and we were um, going over um, Marie's death certificate and had it been altered and falsified, and we're making those corrections um, as far as where my father was born and a gal that put herself down as a niece when we don't have any. So she had, um, as we were talking, she had told me, you know, I have a copy of Marie's birth certificate. And I said, you do? And she said, yes, because I need to um, have this in order to uh, deal with the death certificate. She goes, and I noticed here that she had changed dad's race to Indian. I said, she did. And um, I said, so when was that? And she had told me at that time that Marie had changed hers in, um, let me look here again. Looks like she had changed hers in um, August 3rd of 1973, which doesn't put us that far from the Oscars. Um, my sister Trudy said she changed hers February 27th of 1974, which would put my sister Trudy at about 23 or 24 years old. Then she told me to look at my birth certificate, which I had just gotten a copy of because I had misplaced it. I only had one part of it, and I just sent off for a new copy. That new copy was given to me of July 27th of this year. However, she made the amendment on my birth certificate. Um, it looks like February 21st of 1974. So she changed ours one year after the Oscars, and then she changed her shortly thereafter. And I do remember a lot of it had to do with people questioning whether she was a true Indian or um, a Mexican actress, and also, too, that Roger Ebert had done a, an, had written an article that she was actually a Mexican actress and not um, Native American. And from that, Roger Ebert's article was ignored. And um, as I had mentioned before, that a friend of hers daughter, who was an attorney, wrote a letter to Mr. Ebert stating that he correct his article and that her married name is Cruz. And I did find that um, just by cruising the internet, someone had put that on Twitter and I then retweeted it onto my page. 
So if no one's going to listen to Roger Ebert, which happens to be a huge film critic, and then for her to lie and say that her married name is Cruz when it's our maiden name, that's, um, I think that's something that needs to be noted. And I feel that it's something that's strong and it needs to come from me and my voice because I'm the only one that's going to have our birth certificates, nobody else. And my sister um, sent them to me and I printed them out. So I do have them physically. All three of us. Amendments, originals, so forth. Yeah, so the next question is, um, you know, what were your thoughts when you saw Marie on TV at the Oscars? What were your family's thoughts too? I remember that um, she told my grandparents and me that she was going to be on the Oscars and that she couldn't say anything about it just to watch. So we watched the Oscars. Then we saw her come up dressed in this buckskin dress and saying she's White Mountain Apache. And we just all looked at each other and shook our heads. Now, it's me at my grandparents' house and my grandmother, Marie Barnett's, and my grandfather, Gerald. And we're just speechless. I was mortified. And I just thought, oh, great, here we go again. And, you know, my grandparents pretty much feel the same way. You know, Sashin's an extremist. You know, first she was a flower child. And, you know, with the little flowers all over the car. And then she went into the hippie stage. And then the hippie stage was everybody was kind of doing like a little mock American Indian wardrobe. And I think that kind of fit into what happened with Alcatraz and Wounded Knee. But, you know, I look back at it and we're thinking, well, if she wants to play Indian and this keeps her stable, okay. That's how we looked at it. But I was completely embarrassed to go to school the next day. I don't understand any of this other than she's very narcissistic and extreme and you never know from one minute to the next what she's going to do. Okay. So, you know, within the last 50 years of her claiming she was, you know, Apache on TV, did, you know, um, do you ever question that you're a native? Do you ever try to get enrolled anywhere? Do you try to speak to anybody, you know, about it? I mean, before I, you know, I think I should ask Leanna because she has a question, her hand up. Sorry, but Leanna, do you want to, Oh, we'll, we'll go go ahead with that, and then I'll ask. Yeah. Okay. So, so but the question is, um, you tried to get enrolled anywhere. You tried to speak to everybody about, um, you know, uh, getting enrolled with White Mountain Apache. Um, yeah. And Leanna's question: You want to follow up with that too? I, well, I'm I'm wondering um, what you know, Rosalind, about whatever Marie's role may or may not have been at Alcatraz and Wounded Knee, because there's been a lot of um, conjecture and rumor flying around about both of those. Well, whatever makes Marie look good, she's going to claim and she will claim anybody's work, anybody's identity, anything to make her look like a God. So I would say, no, she wasn't at Alcatraz. I do remember her talking about it. So all her participation and everything that she's mentioned, it just doesn't exist. 
Um, it's nice for putting on a resume when you're really trying to get a good job that you don't qualify for. And that's how I see her. As far as uh, the native part of it, she is so much older than me. I knew when she went to reject that award, when she stood up there and says, I'm White Mountain Apache, what that tells the world is I'm 100% Apache. Okay, well, I'm sitting there and I've you know, we've got a European mother, so that kind of throws that out of the, the ballpark. So as the years go on, I don't really pay much attention about what she talks about. But then I moved to Montana a couple of years ago, and my roommate, who's a Montanan, we live around tribal land. So he said to me, he says, well, you know, your sister says she's, you're Indian. I said, well, if we are, well, maybe we're an eighth to a quarter, maybe an eighth to a quarter of Apache and Yaki. I don't know much about. I said, but she's always talking about the White Mountain Apache. So I looked them up and I went to a woman by the name of Leanne Mallow, who's supposed to do the registration for it. So now I start that with Leanne back in November 3rd of 2021. So, and I had sent her pictures of my father and his tombstone I bought. I said, I really don't have any documentation other than what my sister has said. So I'm starting to question it now because I thought, well, if I can register, that means I can register in Montana. If I register in Montana, that means as tribal, I can get certain benefits like go to school. Okay. It all sounds like Elizabeth Warren, excuse me. But I never, they never could find anything. So with that being said, I had talked with Leanne a few times and she said, we can't find anything. So I had sent her a article of Marie with the Oscar standing behind her. I said, that's my sister. She said, I've never heard of her. So I thought that was really funny. Here you've got some woman parading around that she's White Mountain Apache. I'm trying to register with them starting in November 3rd of 2021 they deny me and say they can't find anything of february 2nd of 2022 in this year well before i ever ran across jacqueline and they don't even know who sasheen littlefeather is i find that amusing and since then i cannot get a letter of denial out of them they won't budge with me and I have two, I keep all my emails and have a folder for them. The last two I sent out was probably two weeks ago. I never got a response back from Leanne. Journalists have tried to get a hold of White Mountain Apache. Mm -hmm. Everybody's tried to get a hold of White Mountain Apache. I don't know if White Mountain Apache's trying to get a hold of them themselves. Um, the way I look at it, the longer they stick their head in the sand, the worse it looks. It, it's just ridiculous. So did anybody from the White Mountain Apache verbally tell you you couldn't get enrolled? Because obviously you don't have an email, you don't have a letter, but did somebody Leanne verbally? Leanne Mallow, she says, you don't qualify. We can't find any documentation. So That's, yeah, so she, she did tell you verbally. Okay. She did tell me that. Okay. That was at the beginning of this year. 
So, but you said, you know, going back to something you said previously was that you've been trying to have somebody talk to you about this since 20, 2007. Is that Correct. because your mom passed during that time? Was that because you were finally curious about your you know, possible Native history or was it any other reason why 2007 stands out? 2007 stands out because my mother died in 2009. 2007 stands out because there was a lot of things that, and I'm going to correctly call her this right now, Sasheen and her partner Charles were doing that were unlawful. And I stood up to her and I told her, if you do not correct these issues that are going down, I'm going to turn you in. And I said, and I've had it with you bashing our father course after i left for 13 years it went into full throttle and i said but what you're doing to our mother is wrong and i said and i'm going to expose you and when um she abused my mother to death through elder abuse and i found my mom in the hospital i said you know what i won't give up i will not give up until the truth is known so on a family issue this is two-sided um because justice needs to be served you cannot take your family and abuse them to death and then go around and parade you're a saint and i think that's really what gets me you can't beat your mother up and throw her in her grave and then lie about it and then you've got all these people saying oh rest in peace i call them the excuse me i call them the rest in peace fan club and I think this woman walks on water. It's just absolutely ludicrous. So when I saw the the uh, unlawfulness of both of them scamming the system and the things that they were trying to do, yeah, that's when I started to reach out. Couldn't get anybody to listen to me. Yeah, so I think I'll, I have a, you know, skip question six, but we'll get back to it. Um, but... Uh, question seven kind of goes with what, where you're at right now, you know, because uh, a lot of people are claiming that Jacqueline Keeler was the one to convince you that you're not native. So I don't know if you want to, uh, you kind of addressed that already, but can you address that? Yeah, no, she, she didn't convince me. What had happened when I was on Twitter and I, I saw what she had posted when she had posted some of the family tree she brought up this picture of uh, our great uncle, Florencio Cruz. And I had shown it to my roommate and Trudy. And I said, our father looks exactly like him. And what's ironic is that between the three of us, Trudy and I look like our mother, but Marie looks exactly like my father. So I saw that resemblance. I had already been denied by White Mountain Apache. So that one quarter or one eighth I thought I might have been to me got clarified. And it was like, okay, I found out my true heritage. The pieces now come together and make sense to me. And me always doubting her percentage point came into focus. So 
I think that is probably what got thrown around and twisted because there's there's a certain group of people out there, and I call them a cult following, that are not going to let this go. And that's fine because when you have a situation like this, you got 50% of the people who are saying, I always knew it. You've got another portion that says, I always thought it, but never had anything to prove it. And then you've got the other percent of the people that says, I don't care what happens. You're going to be Yaki. You're going to be White Mountain Apache. Don't have anybody take that away from you. You know, I really don't care about any of that. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what anybody says about me. But what I do care about is my family. How. Marie created this alter ego called Sashane Littlefeather, and she did it with a bunch of people who were six feet underneath the ground. And then people come to me and they say, how could you do this when she can't defend herself? Well, there's two things in life that people need to look up in the dictionary. Slander is when you lie. The truth is when you sell the truth. And that's all I'm doing is I'm telling the truth. And you know what? If she was alive and somebody had listened to me in 2007, we would be right where everybody wants their saint to be. See, they bought a movie ticket to somebody who's a narcissistic, schizoaffective personality, which she has claimed. She's claimed over and over about being schizoaffective. They bought this movie ticket. What they didn't buy was the ending. They don't like how the movie ended. And it's just like when you go to a movie, you know, you think, oh, this guy's the great guy. And it's a thriller movie. And at the end of the movie, you realize that the good guy actually turned out to be the bad guy. Oh, well. And I'm her sister and she's got another one, Trudy. Now, nobody knows her better than we do. The rest of these people, I could care less. They act like they grew up with us. They act like they sat at the dinner table. They don't know anything about her. They don't know anything about us. So I hope that answers that question. It's it's just ridiculous to me, you know, but like Mm -hmm. I said, I think of her as a cult leader and she's always going to have her following and that's just the way it is. So I have a question because there's another claim going on the internet claiming that you guys, you know, you, Sashin, your family are Yaki. So did you ever, when was the first time you heard Yaki? Was it when the Twitter thing happened or was it, have you ever heard Yaki before that? You know, my, uh, when I was a kid, my mom told me and my father had related to her that in Sonora and Hermosillo, um, that he had relatives that originated from down that way. Um, And then they had migrated up here to Oxnard. And then some of them eventually had migrated over to Florence, Arizona, uh, in in the Arizona area. I think it was Florence, basically, in the 1800s. So from my understanding, he had also told my mom that that was, the Yaki, there was a Yaki reservation or some of the tribal Yaki live in that area. So with the outcome of that, whether there's a possibility that we could be or not, I don't know. There might, haven't really figured that one out. 
but I'm figuring that the fan club can probably direct me onto what my heritage is supposed to be one or two. I always get a good laugh with my sister and I say, well, gee, maybe if we're one one thousandth of a million Yaki, that'll make everybody happy. As far as I know, I don't know. I mean, when I thought a little bit more about it before I started delving into um, the family tree and so forth, I would think, yeah, you know, my grandmother's Yaki. At this point, with all the controversy, the family tree and the information I'm getting outside of Jacqueline, I don't know. And if I am, I think it's a very, very small percentage. So my, my follow-up question to that is, did you ever, yourself, your mom, ever like were involved with the Yaki community in your life? Did you ever, you know, say, oh, this is no. family? No, okay. No. Okay, does, it, does anybody have questions for Rosalind before I move forward? I do. Okay. Yeah. No. It just it's just a kind of a a, a follow up clarification. So, do you <clears throat> feel I'm kind of doing reflective listening? Do you feel Rosalind like um, this was just kind of a slow progression from being a flower child hippie who appropriated? you know, American Indian type clothing and, and stuff that just kind of grew from there into with her fascination of American Indian people. And she just adopted this, like, where, where did the white mountain Apache thing come from to begin with? Do you think you nailed it on the head? I thought about that last week. I started thinking about her personality and how she was always trying to find herself or fit into a group and I started thinking about when I was a kid, she had this Triumph car. It was really nice. It was uh, it had red leather interior and it was white. And they probably go for a lot now. I'm into cars. But she had, there was a time when everybody was putting these big uh, peel off flowers on their car. And then, you know, she went into this hippie thing afterwards with the buckskin and, you know, everybody kind of somewhat dressing tribal. And so I agree with your theory. I thought about it and I go, oh, and here is the next thing, you know, then she tried, then she's acting, modeling, <clears throat> and she she's still in somewhat of the hippie thing and goes on um, to become Miss Vampire, <clears throat> excuse me. And from being Miss Vampire, what's going on with um, the tribal nation, Alcatraz, because she's living up there in San Francisco with my other sister, it was, a, it was a very subtle switch to go from plain hippie to being a tribal hippie, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. And I could be a whole click doing that. Right. Right. There were a lot of people at that time thinking back. That's a long time, you know, to think about people who love the one you're with, you know, go with the cause. You know, you've got the Vietnam thing. Everything was a cause. Everything was a fighting society looking, looking to find some kind of freedom. And she found it. 
she found it when that was happening. Joe, do you have any questions? So, sorry, sorry, Leanne, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Joe. Let's let's see if Joe has anything. Well, you know, my I can, I can relate to the story on so many levels, um, but I think something that I have always wanted to get out to the public um, as a uh, teacher of, of Native American studies, uh, doing adjunct professing, um, and my knowledge of, of Native people in general, my own community, the Pascoyaki tribe, um, other Native communities. You know, as a young as a young man, I heard stories. Um, I was told stories by my father, who was Yaqui. Um, my mother's um, Anglo. Um, that uh, that of course we were Yaqui, and um, it was it was not far removed. Both my great grandparents were Yaqui Indians, and, and uh, of course stories that are traditionally told to the Yaqui, uh, to many Yaqui people were told to me uh, when I was young. Um, however, I was not a tribal citizen. So I grew up, um, I took a love for Native American culture and the stories that my dad told when I was young reconnected me to other Native peoples that I wanted to uh, vigorously study that at uh, within the Western University and also have access to other Native peoples. My father would take me to visit with uh, other Southeastern peoples because I grew up in Carolina. Um, at some point in my life, um, of course, my father and I, we, I, I was an urban Indian. He grew up as an urban Indian, but... Um, we wanted to reconnect to our community. Um, my father and I talked about this, and my, my father being someone of, 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 of honor, um, someone that I highly respect, that I love in, intensely, uh, um, he instilled in me that we should, as people trying to reconnect, that we should, tr we should go outside of, of every of our, of our means in every way to make sure that we approach the Yaqui community with respect, uh, that we approach humbly. And I remember, you know, him, him instilling this in me and, and, and that meaning something to me. So as I continued my pursuit of, uh, and, and study of native Americans, um, I made a promise to myself, um, you know, in, in a sense, through my, my father's honor and through my father um, and his position on this, too, that I, that I would never, I would never take a position um, as a Yaqui Indian, even though I had stories in my family, I would never do this until I was verified as Yaqui by the by the Yaqui Nation because I felt that doing this, uh, saying that I am something that I am not or that I'm a citizen of some nation, I, I always felt it was just a, it was disrespectful to do that. I, I didn't feel I didn't feel there was much honor in that. I didn't like that. And so 
my father and I made the conscious effort uh, to make formal application with the Pasquayaki tribe of Arizona. We followed all of their citizenship guidelines happily. We made application and we were accepted into the community. And from that point on, we went out to Arizona. I lived in Arizona for years. I participated in some ceremonies that were the, the deer dance, and uh, I, I, I got to know tribal elders. Um, so, you know, I, I am a person who may have a similar story as other people, uh, other people who are connected to a Native community, and, but, but it's a not, not a formal connection. I just think that there is a, a beauty, a dignity, uh, a responsibility for tribal nations to be able to maintain their right to determine who their citizens are. If we try to go around, if any human being tries to go around that, to me, it is a strike against. Uh, it is a. Um, it's a disrespect to that nation's sovereignty. Personally, I cannot imagine doing this because I do hold an intense appreciation and love for tribal nations. No matter what tribal nation we're talking about, I, I respect and I honor them. And so I just kind of want to put that out there. I've, I've, I've always wanted to put that out there in a more formal setting. I think this is a good time to do it. So uh, that's, that's about, that's the comment that I have here. So thank you guys. I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I've had people um, read their comments on how she's brought people to together and to cross those boundaries to reconnect and i thought to myself yeah okay that's great and the reason i'm being sarcastic is because that wasn't her role to bring when you um as our family sees it especially me when you come in and you play indian when you be when you become an icon when you become an activist and you are not confirmed tribal when you say it's in my heart you take away from the people in the tribal nation who should have that right it's no different than than the uh, film industry hiring white people to play american indian people now you've got people like marie aka sashin who were pretending to be uh, Native people fighting for rights. Well, just like I said, I put out on Twitter, what has she done? Now, if you're not Native and you don't live on a reservation and you don't connect with your people, how do you really know what the issues are? How? Somebody didn't get a part in a film? What else has she done? She didn't work with Mother Teresa. I remember she donated or volunteered to work at AIDS in San Francisco, but she didn't form the foundation. You see where I'm getting at? 
So she's not doing a service to tribal. She's doing a disservice and she's taking it away from people such as yourselves here on this iPod that have contributing concerns and know what the real problems of tribal nations are. She doesn't. All she knows is when the camera comes on, when she can laugh her way through it and throw a couple of good jokes out. That's it. Leanna, I think you have a question. Well, it's more of a commentary because after listening to Joe and Rosalind just there, absolutely. I, I think that's why so many legitimately American Indian people are upset. Um, and it's and it's so frustrating to see how many legitimately American Indian people are defending her fraud because uh, what Rosalind points out right now, what, what Joe just pointed out is so true. You know, the only thing she knew uh, seemingly about Yaqui people or culture or uh, Apache White Mountain Apache people or culture is what she learned as a tourist passing through, if that. Um, she couldn't even get the, the regalia right. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty glaring. And, and so, you know, we're talking about a person that was never trying to reconnect. There was never anything for her to reconnect to. And even if there was, she clearly never made any effort to do that. I mean, here's Rosalind, who actually tried to join the tribal nation, thinking that, you know, maybe her sister was onto something and, and come to find out, no, no, it was just all nonsense. Um, you know, Rosalind's the one that made the effort, seemingly, not Marie. So very frustrating how many defendians there are out there stamping their feet and whining about this when, you know, we're the ones that are constantly having to face this type of thing when non-Indian people usurp our our voices, our, you know, everything. Because what Rosalind said was so very true. Well, the, the media created this mess, too. Nobody ever challenged her. Nobody ever questioned her. You know, I mean, I just recently discovered. So let's use me as a good example. Someone had pointed out to me, um, well, she wasn't even wearing an Apache dress. Right. I thought, really? She was wearing a plains dress. I mean, I literally had to Google. This is how native I am. I literally had to Google and find out what the different dresses were for different tribes. And when I did, I realized that Apache dress and hair is completely different. And when I did try to throw that out on Twitter, it was like, well, that doesn't matter because, you know, my mom's Apache and sometimes she doesn't wear her hair in a ponytail. It's, you know, I go, people are missing the point here. You can't sell yourself as a white mountain Apache when you're wearing a plain dress. So let's go back 50 years. And then now you go 50 years forward and the Academy's giving her this big Yahoo on an apology. and. I always laugh with Trudy. I says, you know, our sister could be dying and taking her last breath. But if somebody said that they were going to give her an award, this is before I knew they did this, or um, film her, she would jump right out of bed and say, oh, okay, I can do this. And that's exactly what she did. And two weeks later, she dies. 
Now the academy got caught going, oh no, what are we going to do now? They didn't have a response, nothing. So now they come up with, we recognize self-identification. You, how insulting. Now that comes back, what progress has been made? In 1973, it's all about Native Americans playing themselves in films. Now you go 50 years forward and the academy is saying self-identification is okay. So if I want to go to Hollywood and I want to say I'm White Mountain Apache and can I have a film part? Okay, yes, you can. So nothing's changed. All it did was go full circle. It started at the academy and it ended in the academy's lap. And now they went back to where they started. What changed? Sashin got to act. Marie got to act as Sashin Littlefeather. That's the only thing that happened in 50 years. She become a cult member and you've got people believing it. And then I see on, uh, I see all these young people that are, uh, we believe her, she is, and she's Indian, and she's Yaki, and all that stuff. I thought, now here you've got the media, and all these other media sources, and what have you, and they just hand this down as history. So my thought, I'm looking at this mess, I'm thinking to myself, you've got these young people, and I see some young white people on there too. I'm trying to use that word correctly here. Um, and they don't know anything about the history. They don't know anything about what it is they should know, what is real, what isn't real. Because when you put that self-identification thing in, anything goes. I could be Filipino if I wanted anything goes so what really matters in tribal nation now you guys are put back to zero when it comes to to everything that she was an activist for all she did was act everybody got taken joe you have a question oh go ahead i think joe has a question his uh his hands up i um i think that's very powerful Roslyn. i i absolutely agree with that and um I just want us. I, I ask my students this when I when I uh, taught uh, at, the, at the universities, at multiple universities. You know, I ask my students, and I and I and I got to the, I got them to, to reflect a little bit on this idea, and because the concept of pretendianism certainly did come up, and you know, people in the class uh, saw themselves as having Native American heritage, and um, I would. I would ask your listeners, Rick, to, to ask themselves this and, and reflect on this. Um, certainly, Native peoples of the Americas, generally speaking, Native Americans here, the Cherokee, the Catawba, um, pretty much every nation in the eastern part uh, and uh, the Great Plains, the the, the Great, the, you know, the Bays, the Great, the North Northwest Coast, the Basin, all over. Um, Southwest, we we as Native peoples, we I feel like I can say assuredly we experienced um, we experienced colonization. People who are not even I think really um, 
um, familiar with Native American history, I would hope have a grasp of and know or have heard of the concept of colonization, the colonization of America, what, it, what occurred, um, things that came from that colonization like the Trail of Tears, the displacement of Native peoples, uh, the taking by force of land, natural resources being taken. People of the, um, of the Americas, including indigenous peoples of, of Mexico, um, you know, learning my tribal history as a Yaqui Indian and what occurred uh, under, the, um, um, under the reign of people like Porfirio Diaz, um, um, ex you know, genocide, exterminating, uh, trying to exterminate Yaqui Indians, um, uh, taking land, taking resources, you know, all of these things come together to me uh, when I witness an individual or individuals claiming that they are something, specifically Native American, that they are of a nation, not going through a, 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 a a sovereign nation to become recognized formally as a as a citizen of that nation and just determining on their own that they have the right to self-identify i ask your listeners rick to ask themselves what exactly separates an individual who is taking an identity from a native nation, they're taking on a native, a native identity from a native nation. They are not asking for this. Um, what separates that act from the act of colonization itself? So to colonize a, a, a land, for instance, you know, we think about taking by force a, a, a a place, a sacred place to say to, to people who considered this place um, a sacred land, land that their that the bones of their ancestors were were buried, and so that land is taken without any real humility, without 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 asking, without any honor, hum, any humbleness, nothing. It's taken. And so when I see these individuals who will take on these identities, I, I can't help but, but just think of how that seems almost like identity colonization. So an individual just takes the identity of Native peoples. Um, you know, Native peoples have lost a whole, a whole heck of a lot. I think upwards to 90% of their traditional lands, if not more, are gone now. One thing that Native peoples, I think, deserve to have is their identity. And when these things are taken away, that is shame. That is shame. It's shame. There's no honor in that. Um, so I'll just leave that with the listener. I just want to leave that with uh, with with folks to think about. Thank you. Yeah, and I think we are this. You know, interviewing uh, Roslyn is not the whole episode. We're going to have like a, a, 
in the same within the same episode, the second part, where me and you, me and Joe, you Joe, are going to talk about history and break things down that happen online too, right? So you know that's that. So people that are listening after Ross's interview, don't just click off. There's going to be more to this episode. And Adriana has a question. Um, another comment that um, people are just so woefully uneducated and don't understand that being an American Indian person is a political a political designation. You know, we're, we're citizens of sovereign tribal nations. And so, you know, it would be like me going to France and claiming to be French and expecting the Fr- French government to afford me all the rights and responsibilities of a, of a French citizen, you know, because I self-identified as one. That's ridiculous. You know, it, would the United States, does the United States grant citizenship to anybody who comes over here and claims to be a United Stadian? <laughs> I'm not saying American on purpose because anybody from Mexico, the U.S., or Canada is an American. So, you know, could, and of course they don't. Of course they don't scream and yell and throw a hissy fit and deport you, right? Um, put you in a cage and deport you. So I think there's so much education that needs to happen around the, the idea of self-identification as an American Indian person because it just it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way because we are tribal sovereign tribal nations. So yeah, just pointing that out as a reminder. Thank you know, you. I just I just wanted to say, Joe, you made an excellent comment and again. I really agree with um, everything you're saying. For me, as I'm learning, like I said, we're always cleaning up her messes. But besides my family, I'm learning so much on how this has affected tribal nation and stealing identity and how terrible that is. And just like you were talking about going to France, I remember I ran across a picture where she had what I would call a hippie Indian and she was in France and she was being an activist. They said, you know, I told myself she should have stayed with that because our family tree is very hard when it comes to uh, France and um, Holland Dutch, you know, at least she wouldn't have to try to make it up. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Things come to me all the time. And I think about that, but you know, this is a, my heart goes out to the tribal nation on this. Thank you, everybody. Uh, so the next question to move forward is how did you find out Marie passed? Oh, a girlfriend, um, Teresa, she had texted me. I just woke up. She said, I'm so sorry. You know, your sister died. She was 75. That's so young. And I thought, And I knew she was talking about Marie. And then I opened up Google and started to read. And (laughs) when I was reading Google, there's some girl parading around in, in these newspaper articles here again, taking everything at word at mouth, never checking anything. Uh, saying her niece said this and her niece said that and she died in Novato and um, 
one one of them said friends and then she was surrounded by family i thought family well the only family member we have outside of me is my sister trudy so because i hadn't spoken to either one of them in 13 years um because of the situation that happened around my mother and um Sashi is very good at manipulating Trudy, as she has as a child, because like I said, she was her first victim. I decided to um, give Trudy a call, and I had asked her, I said, well, it said that you were uh, present or family. She goes, I didn't know anything about it. And I says, you didn't? And I go, how did you find out? She goes, I opened up my phone to the news and I saw it on Google. So that's how we found out she died. Okay. So, okay. So the next question um, is, you know, the reason I'm asking it is because, you know, um, when, I, when I read Twitter, and this is the second part of the interview, I'm going to address this, my observation, my analysis. But, you know, there's one thing, the first thing I saw was um don't listen to Rosalind because she's a Republican. And I thought to myself, that's a really <laughs> wild thing to say because there's natives, um, there's natives like that are Republicans or the natives that believe their different political beliefs were not a monolith. So you know the things always changed, always changed. <clears throat> One of the other things people said that don't listen to Rosalind because she has a grudge on Marie. She's just, you know, just wants to make her look bad and then the, the one that i actually got a day ago on twitter was like you can't listen to rosalind because she they, she crashed the funeral and said all these mean things during the the funeral and you know and then she took jacqueline to the funeral blah 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 so can you address why you went to the funeral and and you know why you said what you said at the funeral sure i have no problem by the way in case anybody wants to know sashin was a republican anyway um when i talked to trudy and i asked her about the funeral i said well wh what are you going to do and she said well it's being held at this i think it was saint rita's church and she thought, well, I'm going to go. I'm thinking of going just to irritate people. I go, how can you irritate anyone? She doesn't even, no one knows we exist. And Trudy had said to me, well, she had stopped talking to me two years ago. That was Trudy. I said, don't you understand why she did that? It was for, we're bad publicity. See, we didn't play Indian. She took us to powwows and we didn't want to dress up and play Indian. We didn't want to adore, endorse her alter ego. Then you've got some girl running around. I'm just going to mention her first name, Kalina, saying she's her niece. Um, and that really bothered us a lot. Then when I read all this stuff about how people were looking at her as a saint, knowing how she abused my mother, knowing the fraudulent acts that her and Charles had done, which is a whole nother situation. Um, I said, enough is enough. And then you've got this gal running around as her niece, making funeral arrangements, um, 
coordinating a funeral without even addressing us. We are her heirs. We're her only two surviving sisters. My sister Trudy was very upset that she tried to get a hold of, um, I think his name's Brian, with Monty's funeral services down the street from where she lives. And this guy refused to give her any information. He said, can you spell Sashin? Because she was saying, look, I'm her biological sister. I want to know if my sister is there. And he wouldn't tell her anything. So Trudy was upset about that because she got to, she missed the rosary, right? So these people just try to excommunicate us out of the whole thing. And we basically have had enough. Um, so I was in disbelief that it had went that far. And I told her, I said, no. I said, I finally got somebody to listen to me, which was Jacqueline. And, you know, I don't really care what people think one way or the other, as far as my affiliation. I think it was the perfect timing because of what she does um, as far as pretendians and writing articles. Nobody would have listened to me except for her. Nobody. So again, God's time is perfect timing. And I said, I'm going to fly out from Montana and I'm going to that funeral and I'm going to get up there and I'm going to say we exist, that we're her biological sisters and there are no others. Prior to the services starting um, on that one, we went to the priest that was going to form it and my sister introduced us to him and said that... um, were her biological sisters. And this guy didn't even want to shake my hand. And I put my hand out to him and he begrudgingly did. And then we found Brian and my sister gave him a tongue lashing and I sat in the middle of the church and then he came over before the services. And he actually told us, I am so sorry. I was put in a difficult situation. I hope you understand. Now, this man who's a funeral director that said, do not communicate with her blood relatives, I and Trudy, is groveling before us for five minutes, telling us we hope he understands. Then I've got a priest that doesn't want to shake my hand. Then when the mass starts, on top of that, he sits here and says, Oh, Sashin was so abused. So indirectly, that's a slap to my father, who everybody thinks is a monster and a, you know, a wife beater and a alcoholic. A bad portrayal for traditional tribal men, I hear, because they're stereotyped that way. Nobody knows we exist. You got this girl, Kalina, running around accepting condolences and pretending to be a blood relative niece. I'm, and people wonder why I went up there and crashed this thing. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. So it was very painful for me to sit through the opening part of that so-called ceremony where they have this huge picture of her up there. The first guy, um, when he went to give his eulogy, it was very long-winded. I think they had four people that were long-winded. 
And I said, I can't take this. Once this first guy leaves, I looked at Trudy. I said, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to say my piece. And I'm going to walk out of this church. I asked Jacqueline to be there. I insisted that her editor for the San Francisco Chronicle fly her out there. I said, you've got to come to this thing because um, I know that it's going to be a 911 funeral. Either somebody's going to try to throw me out or something's going to happen and I'm going to have to call for assistance. Anyway, as it turns out, um, you know, I went up to stand in front of the church and I thought it was kind of unusual. There's this gal, her name is Theta Newbreast. And she had actually led me up to the podium to speak, but the audios are very bad. And basically what I said was I come in peace and that I, Rosalind Cruz and Trudy Orlandi are the only two surviving sisters. There are no uncles, nieces, aunts, no nothing. We're it. And with saying that, I expressed, I said, I wish I had time to tell you about 4-H and all the wonderful things that our parents did and our grandparents did and that they were good, hardworking people. So I wasn't slandering Sashine. What I was talking about is that there was no abuse. We didn't have any poverty. We went to Catholic school. We had a good life. They were good people. But towards the end of that, I did say, as any family member goes through uh, with somebody who has a mental illness, it is very difficult, extremely difficult, which is true. And I'm not talking anything that's particular with um, Marie. I'm talking about families who have family members who have to deal with mental illness and how, what kind of coping tools do they have with Marie Hey, if you play Indian and you're not hurting anybody and it keeps you stable, fine. But she got to the point where she was hurting a lot of people. And it got that bad that I went up there to let people know that we exist. And the reason that we didn't exist is because we didn't play Indian and we were bad for her public image. As things get worse and unwind, um, the priest, his name was Tom West. Now think about this. The priest, Tom West, actually approaches me to try to escort me out of the church. I'm a born and raised Catholic, okay? I've got a Catholic priest trying to throw a surviving blood relative who no one knows exists out of a Catholic church. And people want to know why I crashed it. That's how bad they were trying to push us underneath the carpet and get rid of us. I mean, this guy should have a stamp placed on his forehead that says, I am not qualified. It's just insane. And then we find out this Kalina person had went and forged my sister's death certificate by putting herself down as her niece, saying my father was born in Arizona, putting my father's name down as William, um, and some other ridiculous situation. I mean, who are these people? Who are these people to hijack our life, take over, 
and take condolences and treat us like dirt, like we don't exist. Yeah. I had a right to go there. Yeah. I had a right. And that's a big difference than a crash. Yeah, it was a crash. But you know what? I'm not the only one in the world. It just happens to be I crashed the saint. And that hurt people. Ouch. Bad. One day a saint, next day a fraud, because that's when the newspaper article came out. And, you know, to end this with, the thing that just got me, the insanity of this. Yes, this lady... Theo was very nice to lead me to the podium, okay? But when I left, my last words were, my father was a good man. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong because she's blamed her whole idea, identity on drunk Indians. Indians beat wives. White white mom has to go to white grandparents. You know, she never gives anybody a name. It's like, you know, Apache dad, white mom, white people, white food, you know, and people soak this stuff up. It's just absolutely insane. So I leave out of the church and this woman (laughs) turns around and kisses my sister's portrait. I said, are you joking? I wouldn't kiss anybody's picture unless it was God himself. I thought, you know, the only thing this woman missed was she should have crawled on her hands and knees and then kissed her picture. If you're going to be a real cult follower, I just to me, it's just that's just deranged thinking. Then the priest says, what's what is said here stays here and we should keep it here. I'm thinking, well, that's great. I'm on YouTube and everybody around the world is watching this. So you just look more than unqualified. The guy shouldn't be a priest. I don't know. He should wash cars or something for a living. But um, that's why I crashed it. Yeah. So I have I've a, um, you know, we can have questions from Leanna and Joe, but I have an observation. Something else that happened on Twitter. So people were, there was a picture of you, you were standing behind your mom and Marie was sitting next to your mom. And people were saying, people were saying, oh, look, uh, their mom looks native. They're native. And I was thinking to myself, your mom is not native at all. Like they're claiming the indigeneity through your dad's side, but they're using a picture when your mom was elderly to say like look she looks like a native like they must be native and i have i had this tweet saved somewhere and i was thinking to myself like you know when people they want something to be true that they they see like i don't know like your mom they see your mom elderly elderly picture as actually native when she's not and to me i was just like what's the irony like they obviously didn't read the article, or they obviously haven't asked you, you know, to me, I was just, I read it. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I I just found it really ironic, you know, and Joe has a question. Uh, Thanks, Rick. I I just have a, you know, a general comment for that particular, um, that specific comment that was, was made about someone looking Native American. Um, I would absolutely love to question the individual or individuals who said that. My question being, what exactly does a Native American look like? 
Um, you know, I, ha- I have a, n- a number of friends who are part uh, Native American, uh, part uh, black. I have friends who are Native American who are part uh, uh, Middle Eastern or of all types of different descents, uh, Asians. And I'm just kind of curious about that. I, I think that's kind of comical. Uh, looks Native American. What does a Native American look like? Can I answer that one? Okay. Here's a good one. So Sashin wants to look Native American, right? So what does she do? She has plastic surgery on her nose. Then she has an article that blames it on my white grandma that she couldn't look, I don't know, ethnic or what have you. Um, then she has silicone injected into her cheeks. She did that specifically so she could look more native. And people, I find it interesting when I read things on Twitter or certain articles, well, she looks native. She must be native. Really? Well, it was, it was created native because original pictures of her have her um, with a larger nose because the German side of us has that. Apparently she didn't, she didn't like who she was, you know, so she, um, altered it surgically uh does anybody have any questions before we end this part of the uh, interview liana i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) i know that's that's kind of a shock no i mean who's going to know that except her family i know right it's just damn um i'm thinking come back to me okay yeah, I mean, uh, this is all the questions we have. But, you know, I think the second part of this uh, episode, we're going to have have conversations, I guess, like I said, analysis of what I saw online, what me, Joe, saw online. I don't know if Leanna, you're going to participate in that. You're more than welcome. But, you know, I think, um, like I said in the beginning of this, is that whether, you know, Marie is Native or not, she's part of Native history now, right? That's That is set in stone. So, but, you know, just like any other situation in history, there's always like little pieces of other parts or there's other parts of stories that people don't get to hear. And a lot of the times to it, and in, in with you know, you got interviewed by other people that's other, I think somebody interviewed you, right? Other news articles. But I think um, what these news articles do is they take quotes and they, and they don't post the whole interview, right? And my purpose of this is to post your whole, the whole interview, everything that you had to say, and to put it out there to say, you know, this is who we are, this is what I am. Instead of having a news article that takes like 10 minutes to read and they only quote you like two or three times. So this is a good opportunity to just let you speak. And now this is, is part of Native history. You're, even though, you know, Rosalind, you might not be Native, but this is, Part of Native history, your 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 side of the story to the Sashin situation, and Leanna has a question. Well, I'm just thinking that, um, yeah, Marie is definitely part of Native history, but she's part of Native history the way um, Ironize Cody or Oscar is <laughs> yeah. part of Native history. It's pretty embarrassing, and uh, I, I just I'm I'm. I'm flabbergasted at the fact that could it possibly be any more clear that this woman was not an American Indian person 
and had no American Indian perspective on anything. And, you know, could it be more clear? I don't think so. And yet we still have all these delusional defendians out there and, and her cult followers who are just going to white knuckle to their own graves that Marie was, was Indian. And it's just incredible to me that people could bury their hands, their heads so far in the sand to, to, you know, white knuckle that all the way to the end. It's just, it's crazy to me. It's really crazy. You know, I would just wanted to say something on that, you know, since um, this is all new to me and I'm, I'm taking care of my part of this as far as my family. I, you know, more I delve into this, I thought, I have a responsibility to actually to reach out to anyone in the tribal nation who wants to speak with me because she's created a big mess. And as Trudy and I were talking, you know, we always get into a position with her where we do have to clean up her messes. This one just happens to be on a wider scale. Um, But I'm learning and understanding how this has affected everyone in different ways, especially the youth that don't know history, um, kind of bring everything back to basis. There's a lot of people that do realize it that are, that are younger. And I was appalled to see that um, some were given um, her as a case history in class. I thought you're kidding me. So you know, I have a responsibility um, for myself outside of my family to tribal to put some clarity on this. It's just not about me, you know. Hope yeah. that makes sense. I think Eliana has another question or comment. Well, I want to say I want to apologize to Rosalind for all the ignorant comments that have been hurled her way about crashing the funeral and and the same for Jacqueline um, because funerals are for the living, you know, they they are not for the dead. They're for the living. And who else had more right or reason to be at that funeral and to speak at that funeral? That was Rosalind's family. And Everything that happened between them before that day is between Rosalind and Marie and, and their sister, their other sister. But uh, she had every right and every reason to be there, to set the record straight, um, to grieve. And yes, I'm, I'm sure that there is grief involved as well. That's her sister. You know, nobody had the right to police Rosalind's words or her presence there. And I think that was, you know, that was what was incredibly toxic. And I find it humorous uh, in, a, in a sick, twisted kind of way and ironic that, you know, they did to her there what they complained about the Academy doing to Marie so many years ago. Absolutely. And you know what? Right what was funny about that and, Trudy had pointed it out to me and Jacqueline because when the priest approached me, I put my hand up and Sashin's picture was right there. 
And I said, excuse me, I'm almost done before you try to throw me out. And she said, you know, you did the same thing Sashine did when she put her hand up. I said, you know, I never really thought about it. But I take amusement in all of that. I've read where some people have said, you ruined the family funeral. I go, family funeral? We're it. We weren't invited. What are you talking about? I'm to me, it's I make a joke about it now. I tell my sister Trudy, I says, Hey, I'm crashing funerals now. I'm giving you a special for 250 for a holiday instead of my regular fee is 500. Sashin was my worst enemy, but she was my best teacher. I don't care anymore. People can say what they want. I think Joe has a question. Joe, well. It's a, it's more of a comment. Um, first of all, you know, I think we have to all reflect on what Indian Native American American Indian history is all about. Um, it is riddled with incidences of the other speaking for or on behalf of Native peoples, making policies that impact our children that impact our communities um, time and time again we see that when these others speak for us nothing good happens nothing good comes from it um, I think that there is an honor and a dignity in approaching any situation but certainly native peoples, communities with humility um, and allowing the community to take precedence over the individual. I think these concepts are very old concepts that have been with us as Native peoples for a very long time. We held counsel. It was not about one individual usually making determinations or, or uh, making the plans for the whole we would come together, men and women, and we would discuss things, what was best for the community. And that idea, I think, needs to persevere. It needs to endure. Um, I would also like to thank Rosalind. Um, when I think about an advocate for Native American people, they, to me, are people who, who step very lightly, but who have big voices. Um, their actions speak louder than their words, but most of all, they let us speak, and they're concerned about what we have to say. So the biggest advocates, uh, non-Native advocates that I know, um, that I've experienced in my life, are people who can maintain that quality, that dignity. They're not concerned with what attention they may be able to draw on themselves. They are concerned with getting the record straight. They are concerned with other people and how, specifically with Native advocacy, how policies and how um, incidences have impacted Native American people. And they put us forward and they give us a platform to speak. And I, I just, I thank uh, you, Rosalind, I thank other Native and non-Native advocates who maintain that perspective. And that's, that's just a comment I'd like to, 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 to I guess, leave with, with everyone that's listening. 
Thank you. I just wanted to add to that. Um, I really agree with what you're saying. Um, I hope this whole sloshing scandal works for the betterment of tribal. I've made it very clear to a lot of different people. I am not a Sashin clone. It is none of my business to be involved in tribal politics, although I am here to speak the truth about my family, which will naturally unravel her and then explain how her alter ego got made. But, you know, the more I step outside of this, this is really about tribal nation because I can heal and move on. You guys are just beginning. And I think the only person that could take this saint down was me and my sister, Trudy. And you cannot deny that we are not her blood sisters. If anybody was going to shed truth on this, it would have to be us. And I'm more than honored to be able to do this for the tribal nation and hopefully things will be positive and it will spin this whole thing around. And as far as I'm concerned, the more that sh there's light shed on her, that her legacy in this whole mess is going to be nothing more than a fraud. And that my legacy for my parents is my dad's going to be seen as a good man that he was and my grandparents. So like my mother said, Rome wasn't built in a day. Thank you. Uh, I think we're, we're we're about to close this up. I don't have any more other questions and um, you know, we're, we have to plan the part two. So anybody listening, we have, we're going to have a part two to this. So don't, you know, uh, click off or, you know, just log off, uh, stick around. Um, but does anybody have closing statements, Liana or Joe, before we end this? I just want to say thank you to Rosalind for being so brave. And I hope this brings her and her sister just a tiny bit of healing, like I said before, to, to have some validation and, and recognition for all of all of the stuff that she's been through it's just awful so thank you rosalind i i have a lot of respect for you and your sister thank you trudy and i tell you what rosalind if you if if i was your father your mother i i, I if i was in the position of of that um seeing you and what you're doing i would i would certainly be proud of you uh, coming out to clear the air, uh, to set the record straight. I think that took great personal strength. And um, so I think you're definitely bringing honor to your relatives. And I think Native peoples can definitely respect and appreciate that. And I hope it brings honor to them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I think that's um, is the main point is to make sure you can tell your family story um, yourself, you know, not some other reporter or anybody, you know, just doing little quotes, pulling little quotes from your interviews. Um, I appreciate it. I think, you know, in the, in this next part, um, we really have to analyze what happened online. And because there, a lot of people try to just paint your family as native or there's so many different terms 
you know, that, uh, or just assumptions, like, like I said, like pictures of your mom, like, oh, she looks native. I mean, obviously your mom was not the one that had connections or possible connections or alleged connections to the Yaki. And so people were just reaching online for anything, like trying anything to dismiss you, you know, you're, you're Republican, like, but, but there, I know a lot of natives are Republicans, you know, and we're not, a, <laughs> we're, not a, we're not a monolith. So, and I can't, just because somebody is a Republican or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're not native, right? And I might I might disagree with the politics, but it doesn't take away that they are native, you know? And we're gonna also talk about what sovereignty means and the history, a little bit of history of Mexico and indigeneity. And also Joe's gonna bring in uh, history of the Yaqui and the treatment of the Mexican government of the Yaquis. And, but there's one thing that we're really gonna talk about and it's called mining for an ancestor, which means like, you know, people were saying, well, there's an ancestor from 1810 that's Yaqui, you know, oh, that person was mixed with Yaqui, was a Yaqui in, in Spaniard or something like that. And, but, you know, this person is from 200 year, years ago. What does it mean to claim somebody from 200 years ago? And, and you know, claiming native from that. And we, native communities have been talking about this for the longest time. So I don't know why people are, are bringing it up again, you know, why is that acceptable? It's not acceptable, right? And I think people are, are doing that, you know, to just claim nativeness and claim indigeneity for your family when you yourself, like I said, you said on, on this podcast, were not never raised as native you know, and you never went to any new community to connect with them to like, you know, like as growing up. So I, I thank you for your, um, your side of the story. And I thank you for clearing the air, you know, so people can hear from themselves with your own voice. I appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. So in the second segment, uh, me and Joe are going to talk about several things that relate and correlate with um, misconceptions about indigeneity in Mexico, Yaqui history, since there's people online that are saying that Sashin or Marie Cruz is uh, is Yaqui. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about um, Mexican nationalism and indigenismo in Mexico, because there's a misconception that <clears throat> That there, there is uh, Mexicans are just indigenous and Spaniards, and that's not true, because the history of Mexico involves also um, black history. You know, there were as many uh, blacks, you know, people from Africa that brought into uh, Mexico, you know, through the slave trade. There, also, with there was like uh, Southeast Asians that were brought in into Mexico, and also indigenous from Mexico taking out. Of, of Mexico brought into the Philippines, brought into the Caribbean, you know? So, you know, within all this, there's a lot of different ethnicity groups and there's a lot of, even the Spaniards themselves are not, you know, of what I call quote unquote white. Um, when, when you know, the Spaniards came into Mexico or the Caribbean in 1491, um, they were just beating the, the Muslims out of Spain. They're, um, and I, um, so, you know, before that, there was 800 years of uh, Muslim or Arab occupation of Spain and they're, you know, for, so, 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 you know, Spanish are mixed with different, different people, different, 
uh, ethnicities too. And I've met Spaniards that were as brown. And this is things we have to take into consideration when we talk about Mexico and people claiming to indigeneity in Mexico. So in Mexico, there was, um, you know, um, mestizaje. And, and this mestizaje was, there's two types of mestizaje, this white mestophilia, where, you know, it was the whitening of your caste. So you always try to marry like the, into a wider caste. And then there was like a, a, a you know, like a, in, you know, like a indigeno, uh, uh, a different, uh, like a morena, moreno, mestifilia, which was, you know, a more liberal, it was like, uh, it was it was to assimilate indigenous peoples into, you know, um, the, 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 you know, like the colonial, uh, um, society. But, you know, this is a caste system where, you know, it was Spaniards. And then un under that was the caste system was indigenous. And under that was like, you know, Asian and then black. So, you know, within, within the caste system in Mexico, the black people were always on the bottom. So, so, you know, over time, uh, there, there, there was like, I think like somewhere between 20 to 40 different castes in Mexico, different really crazy caste systems. And I, I would really re I recommend reading Before Mrs. Sahe by Ben Misson III. And um, it's just a really good book. And so, but then, you know, after the Mexican uh, independence, you know, this caste system stayed. And then um, after the Mexican revolution, um, there, there became a new ideology because the caste system wasn't really working. So within the Mexican revolution of 1910, uh, you know, the, the thinkers of the these quote unquote revolutionary thinkers tried to create something that would incorporate uh, indigenous people into society, which what they called the quote unquote Indian problem, their Indian problem. It sounds very similar because the US had uh, questions about quote, their quote unquote Indian problem too. So this created the, the ideology of indigenismo, right? And I really recommend people reading um, nations, nationalisms, and indigenas, the nation, the Indian in the Chicano Revolutionary Imaginary by Lourdes Alberto. And you can see how, you know, they, they painted this, this, this like mythical, um, you know, like, uh, um, nationalism in Mexico where everybody was Spaniard and everybody was indigenous. Right. And it was, it was very colonial, right. They, they fetishized indigenous peoples. It was, they was <clears throat> their origin story for, you know, Mexican nationalist purposes um, to try to, you know, they were, and during this time, indigenous peoples were not citizens of Mexico. So we have to think about that, you know, that in the U.S., uh, natives, indigenous peoples were not citizens until 1924. And it was almost the same thing in Mexico until like 1920s, 1930s, until these native people became quote unquote civilized, you know, um, but, this, this, you know, this indigenismo ideology was still a caste system, right? Um, but it, it misappropriated, it misappropriated indigeneity and it race shifted a whole country. And if people read decolonization, sorry, decolonization is not a metaphor, but Tech and Yang, this is a seller move to innocence. So these uh, quote unquote revolutionary intellectuals like Jose Vasconcelos race shifted a whole nation. 
And if people listen to my episodes, episode 120, episode 110, they can see that, you know, that this ideology is, is still pushed in Mexico, you know, and Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo and the muralist movement were part of the indigenismo movement in a in an artistic movement. And what people don't know is that one, one of the main pushers of this was Jose Vasconcelos, which was the first um, minister of education for Mexico after the revolution. Um, and this person pushed his ideology so much. But what people don't know is that he was a eugenics and he was also funded. He, at one time, he was funded by Nazis, <laughs> literally Nazis, right? So we have, you know, we have Mexico propaganda painting everybody as indigenous, right? Even though there's a mm-hmm. there's black history, there's an Asian history in Mexico, and there's also European history because Mexico tried to Im- uh, copy, emulate. Uh, U.S. immigration policy by inviting Europeans to come help them colonize North Mexico. But that's a whole different thing. So the purpose of this and why this is important to talk about is because a lot of people always say, well, aren't, you know, you know, Sashin claims to be Mexican. Isn't she? Uh, are Mexicans indigenous? Yes or no. But uh, not all Mexicans are indigenous. And the people that are indigenous are part of their communities. Right. And somebody cannot claim indigeneity based on phenotypes. They cannot. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, because you don't know where this, the shade of brown, you, you know, you have comes from. It could be from a Spanish ancestor because they're like I said, they're all they're also uh, a shade of brown. I met Spaniards uh, when I was in the military from the Spanish military that were as brown as me. And I'm pretty brown. <laughs> right. And they mm-hmm. I talked to them about that. I said, hey, and they acknowledged that they have you know Arab and, and North African ancestry within the Spanish population. And, you know, so. So to, to to just assume that somebody's indigenous just because somebody is brown or just because somebody is, is from Mexico is not right. It's all about being part of a community, just like in the U.S. It's being part of the community and being part of the culture, being part of, you know, having knowing all these things. And um, so but this, this is this is a very complex uh, conversation. So when, as we're talking about this. This conversation, I really want people to to understand this, uh, that not everybody from Mexico is indigenous and that it really takes community and, you know, within uh, in Mexico. But can you talk about, Joe, uh, since you're Yaki and then it, it happened to um, what happened was, um, um, you know, people were saying that she white mounted Apache, and then she was. They don't even say she was jockey from here, but that's not true from the U.S. And then they were saying that she's jockey from Mexico. And then can you talk about the Mexican history within the jockeys, uh, the jockey history in Mexico? You know, and all you know, everything that you, you said you were going to talk about, Joe. If you could tell us about jockey history in Mexico, thank you. Okay. Um, So, yeah, you know, there's uh, quite a bit of extensive um, history there. Um, And, of course, that history, the written Euro history begins uh, around 1533 with um, a Spanish conquistador named de Guzman who came through uh, the traditional homelands of the UMA, the Yaqui people, and basically was he was looking for slaves, indigenous slaves to help his uh, entourage, uh, 
you know, do do their their conquistador thing and look for gold and this, that, and the other. And um, the UMA people, the Yaki at the time, were so large that he didn't mess with them. He knew that if he had tried, that uh, they would have overcome uh, him and probably uh, killed him and all of his men. So they didn't mess with them. They, they went down the river, the Yaki River, a little ways, and they. Um, you know, found other indigenous slaves that they could force to 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 go with them and do their heavy lifting, etc. But um, anyway, the 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 history is is extensive, and um, it's interesting how people record history because they often will record history um, through battles and conflicts. Um, certainly, um, there are plenty of the bat- battles and conflicts with the Spanish, starting out the Spanish. Uh, and I'm just going to give you an overview. The Spanish were the first to have problems uh, with the Yaqui and the Yaqui had problems with the Spanish. And the same general reasons f- for that was the same thing that was going on the, in the United States. It was an encroachment on their territory. They were uh, taking resources. They were uh, just causing problems. Um, and, uh, that resulted in a number of conflicts and problems and issues. Of course, the Spanish coming in with the manifest destiny, the idea that their belief system was superior to all indigenous belief systems and that they were human beings and that the indigenous populations were subhuman. They were not humans that you can even see that later in time, um, you know, into more contemporary time where I've heard stories about um, the it is Mexican um, farmers who would shoot yaquis for uh, taking vegetables off of their crops or off of their land, off their land, which actually was yaqui land. It was some of the most um, fertile um, land in the alluvial floodplains of the Yaqui River. And the Yaquis had to basically rent that out. And they had tenants, these Mexican tenant farmers, and the Mexican tenant farmers were actually growing um produce on their lands, but the Yaki were trying to, some I've heard have, were trying to get uh, them just something to eat, something meager to eat because this land, um, you know, they, they, they didn't have the equipment, Yaki Indians, you know, they didn't have the equipment to farm it and to, to create an industry uh, or a, a surplus like some of the Mexican farmers did. So the Yaki would go on, they'd try to, you know, try to get some vegetables or something for their families. And then they would get shot like dogs and so, um, you know, this is in more contemporary time, but back, backing it up again, uh, going back in time a little bit. So the Spanish were the first to um, have conflicts with uh, my people, the UMA people. And then after that, uh, of course, um, you had uh, problems with the Mexican government and um, Mexican individuals. They were just not nice people, just like the folks here in the United States. Uh, the French, the British, the Spanish were also doing the same thing here in the United States, and they were encroaching on lands, taking resources, and just basically doing their colonial colonizing thing. And um, so uh, the Mexican government and the Yaqui Indians uh, certainly had their fair share of squabbles. Uh, there is a number of them. Um, then following suit, uh, the, the believe it or not, the United States, the Calvary, the U.S. Calvary, uh, into the to 20s, 1920s, were having problems with the Yaqui and having battles with the Yaqui because the Yaqui were taking guns. Uh, we called the Broncos or the, the folks that um, did not like that Mexico was um, basically had the idea that the Yaqui 
owed the government taxes and the Yaki, of course, we felt, I believe, like we uh, we had been there before uh, Spanish and Mexican taxes and we didn't need to pay taxes. And so that caused conflict. One uh, or uh, There was a number of Yaki uh, warriors, Cajame, Juan Bandieres. Uh, there was, uh, you know, fight, fighting went on with um, – uh, in in uh, collaboration with uh, Pancho Villa, um, but um, so the cavalry, the U.S. cavalry, would actually attack Yaqui Indians who were trying to run guns from the United States back to, into Mexico um, and and supply the Yaqui uh, troops that were fighting the Mexican government and Mexican troops um, with guns, and so um, you know Mexico. The, the, so, so there, there's just an overview of the history, but certainly there was a distinction um, when you're studying. Again, this is a very general overview, but just for time's sake, um, there was a distinction, a a very distinct um, separation uh, between the, you know, the, the the what's the idea of the Mexican citizen and the Yaqui Indian. Not only was there this distinction between the Mexican and the indigenous, the Yaqui, but more generally speaking, there was a distinction between Mexican citizens and the um, and the indigenous populations. So indigenous peoples like the Tarahumara, the Seri, um, the, the Mayo, the Opata, the, these were all groups of people who um, basically rejected any kind of government uh, that was associated with the Mexican government. So in, on June 1886, the Mexican government actually recognized the Yaqui as people who rejected any kind of government, um, and despite the, them only having about 3,000 men army, uh, the government did see them as a distinct group of indigenous peoples. So uh, direct me there, Rick, if you would like me to go down uh, any other avenues there. Of course, you know, talking about the idea of citizenship and this, that, and the other. Yeah. But there's the history for you. Just I, think, I think this is very similar to what you're bringing up. It's also, talk, you know, like talking about the Mexican government persecuting indigenous peoples. This happened with Comanches as, as well. People can look up the Comanche-Mexican War. Right, which Comanches won, <laughs> and then the Apache Mexican War, which the Apaches won, and the Mexican government couldn't, quote unquote, colonize the northern territories, and this is why I said they tried to copy uh, U.S. migration policy. So that's why they invited uh, uh, people from around the world to colonize, help them colonize. So they said, "Hey, if you can go to these northern territories, you know, and settle there, you know, we'll give you all this land." and that's something that most people don't, don't they don't know this stuff about Mexican history, you know. And I think it's really important to understand that Mexico is a southern colonial state, and they have colonized, um, you know, Mexico. And you know, I think we have to, you know, also acknowledge that, um, you know, what does it mean for us when we're talking about indigeneity in Mexico? Because, uh, you know, there's still communities like there there's still nations right and even though they don't have sovereignty like we do here in the u.s um it's i mean like you know it's 
to be indigenous is to also be part of the community. You can't say, hey, I'm native, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, I, I think because I'm brown. When there's a whole history with uh, brown people that were not native, oppressing, uh, uh, colonizing brown and other brown people that were mm-hmm. indigenous in Mexico. And these are things that when we're talking about Sashin or aka Marie Cruz, we have to th- think about when people say, well, you know, now it gets to the other topic uh, about, you know, because here, here's a topic that we, we're moving to now is that, <clears throat> you know, from what I, our observations, so it's observational part of this uh, our, our you know, recording is um, is how they people were saying that she was White Mountain Apache, just like uh, Rosalind said that she tried to contact White Mountain Apache and they said that she they're not native from that community, right? Uh, why that? Why White Mountain Apache hasn't said anything? I don't know, right? I, I I'm I'm actually curious about that, right? But then people dismiss that and said that she was Yaki. So people were contacting your community, you know, Joe, and they were saying, well, she's she's from your community, but she wasn't part of the, your community, the Yaki community in, in the U.S. And it's Yaki communities in Mexico because there's some communities that, you know, go from both sides of the border, just like the, the Kumie here in California, right? Um, so, but then, you know, but then people were going even further by saying, look, I found some Spanish document where it says that she is has a yaki yaki what what did it say yaki uh korea or something like that right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was from like 1810 or something like that it's like 200 years ago right <laughs> so but this comes to the, the conversation about mining for ancestors you know what does it mean when 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 your family's been living away from indigenous communities for over 100 years 200 years as a settler during a time where the Mexican government was oppressing Native people, right, and living as a settler, so you know, it, it, to me, it's 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 a little bit disingenuous for people to say, "Hey, you know, well, she has an ancestor. We found a piece of paper from two hundred years ago when you know she wasn't raised Indigenous. She wasn't raised Native. She wasn't raised Yaqui. She wasn't raised White, White Mountain Apache." So you know, I think when when she claims to be Native American. And you know, and got this award and claimed to be Native American, you know, or a white mountain, specifically white mountain Apache, all throughout her life, right? And mm-hmm. it's she was just just a pretend Indian. I mean, like straight up, my mm-hmm. point of view. And that this is a problem because now we have people, and I deal with this all the time because I talk about. <clears throat> You know, uh, pretending pretend Indianisms within Chicanismo, within Mexican nationalist. You know, and you can't mine for an ancestor. You can't just say, "I found an ancestor two, three hundred years ago." That's not how it works. That's not how our sovereignty works. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know. Give me, give me your thoughts on that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> I, I, another concept that I think people need to take into consideration. Uh, when looking at someone's ancestry, uh, let's say specific to Sachin's uh, ancestors that were 200 years back, that uh, potentially could have been uh, of uh, some of some Yaki heritage or whatever the case may be, is you know we're talking about uh, dissidents there, uh, something that has occurred where uh, families uh, for hundreds of years have 
been separated from their community for whatever reason. And this does happen. You know, it's, it's definitely a part of people's reality uh, and their family, uh, their families. But if we're to go so far as to say, well, now she held indigenous blood or the phenotypes or genotypes, whatever, and she therefore she is a Native American. You know, we're talking about uh, you know gene, uh, basically genetic counting. We're 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 starting to get into a real dangerous area where, you know, I think we're going to be looking at blood quantum and um, you know what constitutes you being a Native American. So if you can have an ancestor that's 200 years back that's a Native American, you and you say, hey, you know, I consider myself Native American too. Well, when you've got, you know, 75, 80% of your blood is actually not, doesn't hold indigenous genotypes or phenotypes. I just, I don't know where we go with that. I mean, I can imagine uh, someone like, um, well, let's talk, for instance, um, I, I believe if I'm not incorrect here, that just about everyone on the face of the earth, earth holds certain geneti- genetic phenotypes associated with uh, sub-Saharan Africa or where we originated, where our ancestors, all of our ancestors probably originated, which under current uh, scientific theory is, is somewhere in Africa. So, you know, so, you know, someone was to ask me, do you, um, do you have you know, this, this ancestry? Um, well, yes. I mean, technically I do have genotype phenotypes i have some genetics that link me back to africa and so does somebody like donald trump donald trump has those too but i cannot in good faith and i wouldn't appreciate someone like donald trump or anyone saying that okay you know i have these phenotypes or genotypes and it may be hundreds or thousands of years ago but hey i've got them and it's provable so now i am black or now i am Middle Eastern or whatever the case may be. I think it really does, like you said, Rick, it, it really kind of needs to boil down to being a part of a community, uh, certainly in Mexico, because there's different things going on, I think, in Mexico with um, sovereignty and the concept of tribal nations. And it's very different there than the, within the United States, certainly within the United States with the UMA people, the Yaquis, you know, we exist in the United States as well as we exist in, in Mexico. So, um, boy, there's a real, real weird thing going on with, uh, you know, people are trying to start these Yaki tribes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've come back at some of these folks and said, well, you know, why don't you guys just uh, join with the UMA, the Yaki, the Pasquayaki? You know, you have ancestry maybe like me and you can join with the the, the Pasquayaki because the Pasquayaki, you know, have they're, they're a unique nation that's tribally recognized under the federal government, and um, they've gone through all of the criteria associated this, that, and the other, but they're Yaqui people, so they're they're my ancestors and maybe other peoples who have had ancestors as well. But to me, um, just personally, I kind of like to see it with when it lapses into the United States um, and you know issues associated with being indigenous or Native American in, in the United States. I really do like to try to think in terms of citizenship. Because, um, you know, personally, I, I want to honor um, indigenous nations' sovereign rights to determine their own citizens. I do not know of a legitimate nation out there that does not have the power to determine their own citizens. When you take that away from a nation, that's bold. That's that's not a good move. I don't think that's a move, move of respect or dignity or honor. 
I think it's uh, it's almost obnoxious to do that. So, you know, I myself was not always tribally enrolled. I became tribally enrolled later in my life, but I did it the right way. I upheld um, the, the the sovereign rights of the Pasquayaki tribe, and I made application to the to the tribe. And I wasn't going around saying, "Oh, I'm Yaki, I'm Yaki." I had heard stories. I had you know been told when I was little that that was Yaki, and okay, that, that's great. But I can't say that I would want to take public platform and speak as an ambassador uh, on behalf of the Yaki people or in a public context. I just never felt really good about that. I didn't feel like that was right or just. And I still, you know, as someone who's an urban Indian today and and, and being humble about the situation, uh, knowing that I am a, a, a citizen of the, tri- of the Pascua Yaki tribe, but I don't live in the community today. Some and many of the folks who do live in the community, they are connected to that community much more than me. I mean, I do go back for ceremonies and I talk to people that I know and, you know, we stay in contact and, and, and everything, but still I don't, I would never want to go out there and try to be an ambassador or, or something and be so, so very public about it. So often when I'm asked to do a presentation or program, of course, I say, yes, I'm tribal citizen of the Pasquayaki tribe, but we're going to talk about Native Americans in general. And I talk about Native Americans from my experience with Native communities, not only my own, but the the Cherokee, the Catawba. You know, I grew up in the eastern part of the United States, uh, the Pasquayaki people. And so um, it's something that I don't, I don't, you know, I have I have background, I have a master's and a PhD in American Indian studies and indigenous studies and anthropology and uh, American studies. So I, I speak on, on on that level. I don't, I'm not, I never claim to be an ambassador or anything like that. So Sachin doing the thing she did, I, boy, that's, that's, I personally don't feel real comfortable. Uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, but the thing that really gets me is the fact that you know, Rick, folks are, are out there that, and they're just, they're just um, very, uh, just, I don't know what the word is, uh, without any type of reservation. They are claiming that they're native and you better damn believe that I'm native and I don't care what you think, but I am who I am. And, you know, to hell with any kinds of the tribe saying that no, you're not a citizen. No, I mean I'm I'm a citizen because I want to be a citizen, and that kind of mentality is really to me not what embodies indigenous or native communities. We we weren't focused on so much the individual. I don't think as much as we were the community and what was better for them when we held council, whatever the case may be. It was what was best for the community, not the individual going out here as uh, some type of uh, you know uh, outlier and saying. Yeah, I'm I'm Indian, and that's the way that you know the, the folks that did that. Uh, very often in history, not just Yaki history, but history of the plains, etc. Those were people that were signing documents and treaties and land rights without the tribe's consent, and that never really fared well. It did it, it didn't 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 really people that were outliers of the community. It just doesn't work. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. One thing I'm, I saw, I think me and you saw, I asked you about it too, was like people uh, after, you know, Sashin passed and Jacqueline released this uh, article about, you know, Sashin uh, and, um, and, you know, and then, you know, us speaking to uh, R- Rosalind. So, you know, 
people after and, and then after people were saying that you know she you know Marie Cruz was Yaqui because they found some ancestor and Spanish documents from 1810. And then I don't know where people were saying that Yaqui elders accept Marie Cruz at as their own, right? And my my question is, who are these Yaqui elders? Are they part of your community? Because I my question is, why wait until Marie passed, right? To to say this. Right. Or are, are they saying this because of like these documents? Because it kind of seems like, from my understanding, and some if somebody can tell me, please, I would like to know that it, it seems like Marie wasn't around Yaki's. And then because these documents came about, and you know, now people are like, oh, then she was Yaki then, but totally ignoring that she spent 50 years <laughs> claiming to be Apache. <laughs> right. So, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I, uh, I'm i not really aware. And of course, I don't know every tribal elder in the community, but um, I certainly know a few. And I'm not aware that any of them you know, made an outward or formal recognition of Sachin, uh, despite what the, uh, the tribal nation and the council, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the, the tribal leaders said. I, I can't imagine somebody would be so bold to do that. Um, but you know, accepting someone as, as an informal, I don't know, like um, relative relation or, you know, even our casual way of referring to friends, like, you know, what's up brother or what's up sister? Or, you know, we get close to people and we can uh, certainly say that they're like family. I mean, I just, just today I got a, a card from a person that I haven't uh, connected with for a while. And they said, you know, you've always been like family to me. And so they accepted me on some informal level as family, but, you know, if I was going to try to make a claim on their, uh, I don't know, on a, on um, some type of inheritance or something like that, I don't know that that would be appropriate to, uh, you know, basically call me that formal of a family member. So I'm not exactly sure where that goes, but I would like to think that most people who are logical thinking honorable, dignified folks would probably try to leave uh, citizenship and who is who, who's Yaki, who's not Yaki, uh, certainly Pasquale Yaki. Uh, I would like to think that they try to lead that into in, in the, the hands of tribal administration. Um, exactly. you know, going around that and circumventing that is just basically, it's, it's, it's disgusting to me. It's not an honorable, it's not a dignified thing to do. You don't, you don't do that. It, it impacts sovereignty. Like you said, Rick. So it you know it's gonna, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Liana says in the chat. I don't know if Liana wants to say a couple of words from what we were saying. Any observations? Just took me a second to unmute. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think all of this has has just been brilliant so far, and I would just add um, that much smarter, wiser people than me have pointed out the problems when we talk about identity in terms of the disconnect, the cultural disconnect between how some people view identity and how other people view identity. And so um, to give a very poorly um, mimicked example of what this person was pointing out, I want to say it was Dr. Kim Talbert, but I'm not absolutely positive. I'm pretty sure it was though. And she was talking about how, you know, in like uh, American culture, 
somebody might say, hey, my name is Ken and I'm a Christian and I'm a plumber and I'm a dad and I'm a this and I'm a that and, and I'm a Cherokee, right? I'm Cherokee. And they just, you know, they just claim it. They claim those things as part of who they are, part of their identity, right? And they own that identity and they have every right to own that identity and to identify themselves, right? And declare who and what they are, what makes that person can, et cetera. Um, but, you know, in what other instance do we see examples of people claiming um, a nationality so blithely, right? Because um, to claim to be a, a United Statian, <laughs> i.e. an American, I say United Stadium because everybody in Canada, Mexico, and, and the United States is an American, right? But, um, you know, where they you can blithely claim to be a, a United Stadium if you're not a citizen. You know, you can't, right? And, and there are people who, all kinds of Karens in this country who will go ballistic talking about, you know, what's required to become a, a legal citizen in this country or else, or we'll put you in a cage, you know? And so they're very particular about the fact that you don't get to claim to be a United Statian if you are not a United States citizen, blah, blah, blah. But they don't get that it's the same thing for us. So, you know, part of what makes you um, a Cherokee is the fact that the tribe has claimed you. It's not about who you claim to be, it's about who claims you, right? So the tribal nation has claimed you as a citizen because as Joe did, you, you know, put your genealogy out there to prove beyond any, beyond any doubt that you have a connection and you've done all the proper things to become a citizen of that nation. And people don't think about don't, don't think about it in that in those terms. And I think that the huge cultural disconnect is because most people know absolutely nothing about American Indian history or treaty law or the plenary power the United States has over us as dependent yet so-called sovereign nations in this country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They just come with a very colonizer attitude, a very uneducated colonizer attitude about what what identity consists of and what they can claim. So I think along the lines of what Dr. Talbear was saying, um, you know, they they claim this identity as if it's an unalienable human right to claim to be all these things that make up my personhood, including this Cherokee identity without actually having any connection whatsoever to the Cherokee people or a Cherokee ancestor or being a citizen of the Cherokee nation or, or, or any other, I'm just using that as one example, right? So just pointing that out, but I think that's interesting. And, and then the other issue for later would be the problem of defendians and, and how that played into Sashin's case as well, which has been pretty disgusting. Yeah, that's a topic I wanted to get into next because, um, and thank you for that, Liana, it's because a lot of people, I think, first off, so when Rose Delaney came on to, you know, on Twitter, I think she was new on Twitter, um, people started to like, you know how people are, they, they want to know everything about everybody, every small details. So the first thing they they, they said about uh, Rosalind was, oh, she's a Trumpster. So she's out of her mind. So I give her a mental illness, right? And try to diagnose her right away. 
And I was just like, this is what a shitty way to uh, dismiss somebody's voice. And I, I've seen that from native people, from not native people, from people that are claiming to be native that, that are, you know, I think that they're not talking shit you know, to, towards Native people that are Christian, that are Catholic, and whatever, or like, oh, they're not that Native because they're Catholic. I'm like, that being, them being Catholic has nothing to do with their indigeneity, right? They can believe whatever religion they want. They can be Buddhist, they can be whatever, man. They, they yeah. long as, you know, they're, they're Native regardless. So I think, you know, for people to say, Rosalind's voice doesn't matter because she's a Republican or a Trumpster, you know, I, 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 I had a really hard time with that. But the other aspect, of all this has been the anti-Keeler crowd, right? And that was really hard because, you know, with this, with this, you know, a pretending list that happened, the alleged pretending list, and I spoke to Keeler, uh, Jacqueline Keeler, on my podcast about specifically about the list, right? And I, I talked to her about uh, the, you know, any allegations about they had against the list anything and most people don't realize that the list wasn't made by Keeler herself it was made by different people from different communities they got together and they made the list and it was mostly people in academia and in Hollywood from my understanding and it, it's not even talking about state recognized tribes because that's not even that's very kind of like muddies the water right so specifically just pretendians and then some people were left on the list from my understanding to show that some people get called frauds, but they're not, right? And uh, so, but there's this like obsession by some people in this crowd, this anti-Keeler crowd, that all they do all day long is post about Keeler. It's like they they constantly like tweet every day, Keeler, 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 bad, Keeler, bad, making like uh, 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 parody accounts. And then, you know, uh, attacking anybody that associates with, with Jacqueline, they they started attacking Kim Tauber. Oh, Kim Tauber must be anti-Black too. And, and you know, this, they went after me and, you know, they they went after me. It's, to me, this whole situation with, with Marie Cruz is ironic because for within this crowd, Marie Cruz is native, right? Uh, even though, you know, yeah, she was not, a citizen in any community, and she has an ancestor from 200 years ago, 200 years ago. But for me, the same people were saying that I'm not native enough because I don't know my own language, because I'm not, I'm not living in my own community. And you know, I have the screenshots. So wait, so this person with no community is native, but me, who is an enrolled citizen of uh Comanche Nation, is not native enough? How does that work? <laughs> How does this work? Oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, Yana, you, have, Yana, you have some of your hand up. It's called red herring arguments. These people are invested in their delusions and they're invested in their lies for personal reasons, a whole myriad of personal reasons that are irrelevant, but they're so invested and white knuckling onto these lies and delusions that they'll use anything to distract from the truth. And if you notice, not one of them can ever hold a rational conversation regarding the facts. All of them focus entirely on these red herring arguments, straw man arguments, ad hominem attacks, anything to distract from the simple facts 
of the truth of the matter. All of them. And most of these people are literally mentally ill. They're mentally ill. We should be praying for them and pitying them. But they are indeed extremely annoying, you know, so there is that factor. And I think that's what the block button on all social media platforms is for. Block them, move on. They are irrelevant, they are impotent, and they have nothing to do with what's going on with us as Indian people who have our own stuff to deal with that does not involve them other than to point out that they have no voice and no right to any voice in what we're talking about. Now, the defendians, that's another case, but they also have their own reasons for why they're holding on to these delusions and why they're defending these people as if they're one of us. And they are to be more pitied, I think, because they are, as actual Indian people, probably dealing with a lot of the historical intergenerational grief and trauma that all the rest of us are dealing with. And so they've got their own issues, but what they don't understand is that they are not helping their own cause. They're more like, you know, the hang around the fort Indians, the, the traders, Custer scouts, and, and what they're doing is actually toxic to their own people. They don't understand that because they're having their own, they're mired in their own trauma and they're not helping the matter. Yeah, I, I, today I listened to an episode uh, with the host, or what, I mean, the, the guest was Gene Tillett, uh, and it was by the Decimal Podcast. Uh, it was talking about that, how people, they asked, they asked this professor, like, hey, you know, what, do these people have some kind of mental or some kind of emotional situation going on with them? And she said, maybe, that's for psychologists to to diagnose and I think you know some people they they hold on to the, to to wanting to claim indigeneity and wanting to to claim or wanting to hold to the idea that all Mexicans are indigenous right that bringing them away from that is is, is almost impossible right but Joe you have something to say your hands up yeah yeah you know um just uh well said guys i mean you know a lot of really good points here and just back onto the topic of uh what these individuals are actually doing or the, their psychology behind them you know oftentimes i feel like what i'm seeing is a individual who's almost sociopathic um a very self-centered individual who you know doesn't care about the rest of the community if there's 2000 3000 15000 30000 people who are you know, acknowledged as citizens of tribal nations, they don't care about them. It's all about what the individual, what they want. And that type of narcissism or sociopathic behavior is very, very dangerous. And I don't think it's a very traditional way of, uh, of you know, interacting with your community. Another thing that, you know, in studying Native studies, uh, the na Native histories, not only of, the, of my, my people, but the Eastern Woodlands folks, the uh, you know, Northwest Coast folks, uh, all of the folks out here, and and even the, the folks, the indigenous peoples in Mexico, you know, colonization occurred, and and you know, although we think of it very regularly as something that was specifically associated with, uh, oftentimes land, you know, so um, a colonizing force from somewhere, some distance, some came in and stole native lands and stole native resources. But, you know, I have to say, I do see a bit of a correlation when it comes to uh, the colonization, concept of colonization, and someone uh, who has determined that they're going to be damn Indian, and that's just that, and they don't give a shit 
about the tribal nation's rights to you know, determine their citizens. So they're basically going to come over and, and take that identity. So that is, to me, a bit of a uh, – it's, it's a, simil- a similar concept. It's identity colonization. So you're basically saying, well, the Indians, you know, it's almost to me like it seems like, you know, the colonizer got 90% of indigenous lands. Uh, let's see what else we can take. Uh, let's take their identity as well. Uh, we got, we can take that. And, and so, you know, all of these things are playing out in my mind and there, there's correlations there. Um, again, this is why personally I made the decision to try to uh, honor uh, tribal um rights to sovereignty and, and, you know, made application the formal way and did, did things the right way. Um, another thing that I just touching on some, some facts here, the, the defendian, um, you know, I, I would like to pose a question to these folks. Uh, I just, I just, I just want to just throw this out there. There's, there's no answer that we need to talk. You know, there's no real answer to it, but just think about it. Um, scenario. Let's say, let's say, let's say, for instance, let's say, for instance, uh, everyone just can be Indian if they want to be. Everybody can be Indian. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, they can be Indian. They want to be Indian. Damn it. They're Indian. Okay. So um, I'm just curious if that's the case and we uh, subscribe to that philosophy, um, how exactly are we going to handle things like, uh, well, I don't know, the Indian Child Welfare Act? Ever think about that? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, how are you going to handle, uh, you know, taking of native children or who's got rights to native children. I mean, if everyone's Indian or someone can just snap their fingers and become a damn Indian, Hey, it's something to think about. Also, you know, some tribes give out uh, per caps or, you know, they have certain entitlements like scholarships. So if everybody's Indian, uh, okay. So how are we going to handle that now, guys? Everybody's Indian. We're going to give scholarships to everybody out there that wants to say they're Indian. I don't know. It's just something to think about. There you go. All of a sudden, everybody's going to IHS. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, making I mean, land, that's, land that's claims. To me and uh, <laughs> and every other Indian listening, if they <laughs> catch my drift. Yeah, and that's that's the issue. Is like the same people that were you know saying that Sashin is indigenous because of some ancestor from like two hundred years ago. Uh, was also trying to say, oh, protect Iqua. Well, you can't protect Iqua if you're if you're claiming indigeneity from like two, three, four hundred years ago from somebody you know, and where your family's been living as as settlers for two, three, four hundred years. <laughs> How does that work? You know, that's mm-hmm. against sovereignty. If you're not part of a community, then and then you're claiming indigeneity, you are hindering sovereignty, plain and simple, or sovereignty. So I would recommend people read uh, Becoming Indian by Cersei Sturm, anything anything by Dr. Kim Jaber, uh, Daryl LaRoe, right? Uh, and there's so many other people speaking about uh, race shifting and pretendianism right now that it's, um, it, it to me, it's just, it's amazing how people don't, grasp this concept i know some people have been grasping it you know a lot of good people but i think people are also like we said they're they're purposely not wanting wanting to get it i think liana you have your hand up i was gonna just mention briefly you know consider the brackeen case within iqua right and and in this brackeen case one of the biggest arguments is that you know basically they're trying to say that it's racist to to say that a child has to stay with an Indian family and can't go, for example, with a white family, 
so first of all, they don't even understand the definition of the word racist, right? But they're trying to make it about race and it hasn't occurred to them because they're not Indian and because they're, they don't get it, that this has to do with more of the culture. You know, it's not about phenotypes. It's about making sure that the child has access to their culture and grows up in their culture and, you know, has access to everything that that means, which that white couple is not going to be able to give them ever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, and what they don't get is like, you know, we're talking about languages and spiritual practices that that could go extinct still if we're not careful. And is English in any danger immediately of going extinct? I don't think so. Is Christianity in danger of becoming extinct in the near future? I don't think so. But some of our speakers can't even get in the same car together leaving a language symposium because if they both die in the car accident, their language is gone. Mm-hmm. And the people like the ones trying to, you know, take this child in the Brackeen case, they're not even caught. They don't need, it doesn't even occur to them. These things don't even occur to them because they're white and they don't get it and they don't care. Why should they? Mm-hmm. It's just the last nail in the coffin of genocide. Yeah, I also want cultural theft and denial. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. Well, I want to go back a little bit to like, um, you know, people that are defendants, but also are you know, or, or I think just the whole toxic environment on the internet regarding this situation, uh, especially with around you know, uh, you know, killer. So I think with this episode, whether I'm not, we're not trying to convince anybody. I'm not. That's the she's a pretending. If people are going to believe it, there's nothing going to convince them that, that she's not a native, right? Same thing with healer. I'm not trying to convince anybody that oh, you should like healer. If you don't like healer, that's on you. But to be so obsessed <laughs> with healer is to me is just like it's get over it. You, I mean, just I don't know, man. Just I mean. Ter- I mean, I don't agree with everything healer, you know, uh, talks about. I'm mean, especially with topics of like Ukraine or because I have different politics, you know, but I'm not going to be like, oh, I hate you now. I hate you so much because I disagree with you on this. And I think people that are obsessing over her, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really disturbing. It's almost like misogynistic to a point, especially some of the people that are men, you know, like indigenous, not an indigenous, I'm sorry. Uh, it's men on the internet obsessing over healer day in, day out, especially there's now this, uh, non-native white reporter constantly every day tweeting about Keeler, making articles about Keeler. It's like, who is this white dude that's now talking about indigenous issues? Like why is, why does he have why does he think he has like a right to not only trash an indigenous woman, indigenous journalists, but now put his opinion on Indigenous issues is to me it's ironic because these people that don't like Keeler are trying to like shame people for even associating with her or, or silencing her or putting her, you know, squashing her opinion, but are cool with this white dude that has the same opinions as them talking over native people. It's to me it's, it's mind-boggling, right? It, it is mind-boggling. It's so toxic, it's disgusting. But who are they? They're nobody, they're freaking nobody. They are impotent and mentally ill, and we should all just be ignoring them. By feeding those people, 
we're just feeding their egos. They should just mm. be ignored, completely ignored. I, I learned this a while ago. It, it was a dear friend, David Cornsilk, who taught me this years ago. And it took a long time for me to learn it. But he's absolutely right. These people do not deserve the time of day because in the end, their opinions, their voices, their delusional ideas mean absolutely nothing. And in the real world, they have zero power over us unless we give it to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to shoot the messenger with Jacqueline. They're, they're obsessed. They're mentally ill. We should just ignore them. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's toxic for people like Jacqueline. It's, it's toxic and annoying and exhausting. But, but again, if we don't feed into it, it, it'll only exhaust us and be toxic to us if we allow ourselves to feed into it. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I think that it's it's also there's a component of ignorance in there as well. Um, Some of of which, of course, folks I think are are mentally ill or narcissistic or sociopathic in their thinking. Then there's others that are just just blatantly ignorant of the concept of sovereignty and uh, the concept of what these pretendians have been doing for you know. A very, very, very long time not in the United not just in the United States, but also in Canada and other areas throughout the Americas. You know, we're talking about a people, uh, people, the types of people who uh, are taking scholarships away from Native uh, youth and Native Native American folks. Uh, we're talking about the type. You know, these are our previous offenses. People who are claiming to be Native American who are not paying state uh, uh, taxes who are uh, not abiding by hunting and fishing regulations, who are opening illegal gambling casino, uh, who are selling. I think we're talking uh, about a totally different type of pe- person now, though. Yes, I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, they, these, these, if, if, they, if they just understood, yes, if they just understood the, the history of, of, of what the pretendian has done, I guess is, is my point, you know, selling yeah. – uh, Selling uh, tri- uh, tribal memberships of uh, a CPAIN operation to illegal or uh, people who are not legal citizens of the United States at like a thousand dollars a person, and, and I mean these are things that these pretendians have really done, and these things uh, certainly should be. Uh, I mean they're, they're not helping na- legitimately native peoples. Or nations, so um, you know, don't be a part of that, guys. If if you're trying to reconnect with your heritage, you certainly can do that. Um, on many levels, you don't have to, uh, you know, have a parade uh, about it. You don't have to, you know, you can be um, uh, humble in your approach to it. Um, you know, oftentimes I see these individuals. Anyway, my point is that basically that there there needs to be an understanding of sovereignty there needs to be an understanding of of uh, what is in what has historically happened with these individuals who are pretending to be indians who are speaking for indians who are um uh, out there uh making claims on land and this that and the other uh, because they are identifying themselves as native americans you know there's quite an extensive history there and i think keeler you know, she touches on that and other folks as well. But uh, you know, maybe a, uh, some type of uh, publication, some kind of article will come out where you know that's exposed a little bit more. I think people need to recognize that we're not talking about a quality person who's really always interested in just reconnecting with their heritage. We're talking about a, a villainous criminal, 
who is out to defraud not only other people, um, uh, but also out to uh, negatively impact tribal nations and tribal people, native peoples, uh, legitimately native peoples. So, yeah. Um, you know, when it comes, when it comes, yeah, I thank you for that. When it comes to, um, it is rough because, you know, there's other aspects, you know, that people are saying about, you know, why did, you know, Rosalind say these, why, why didn't she come sooner to the forefront uh, when it comes to the situation? <clears throat> I think that, um, these are questions that I don't think we, you know, obviously she answered them on the podcast, but people are always going to bring these questions as a way to deflect from what she's saying, you know, and um, like people were also saying like, oh, Jacqueline Keeler was the one that whispered in her ear and put the idea in her head that she was a native, right? And I think that's disingenuous to this conversation as well, you know, and uh I, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, regardless of whether somebody believes Marie Cruz is in native or not, right? Uh, she is part. She's part of native history, right? Now she is. So now, you know, uh, and, and why we interviewed Rosalind is to get a further in-depth understanding of their family. And the side of the story that people that haven't gotten with Rosalind's, you know, and, and their side of the family, why they're so upset for all these years. And, you know, and how, you know, I always think about like, how does, especially somebody that wasn't raised native, like Rosalind, right? How do you navigate? How do you navigate with your family member that's being a pretendian in the spotlight. How do you navigate through this? I mean, pretendianism for native people. I mean, I remember, I remember being at UC San Diego at 2015 and that being a taboo topic back then. Right. And then only, only recently was a topic of race shifters more public. And I think, you know, uh, for, for somebody to say, well, Rosalind should have handled it better. Well, you know, for Native people ourselves, we've been dealing with this for since the beginning of colonization. And now we're really, you know, attacking this in the forefront. You know, more and more people are coming up, more and more panels, more and more podcasts, more, you know, papers, articles, books about this. And, you know, to, for somebody to say that Rosalind should have the answers to how to handle this, is also disingenuous. Of course, I mean, if she didn't say anything for a long time, you can't really blame her, I think. Joe, you, you have your hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to add, you know, um, being a part of the conversation and the podcast with Rosalind, um, you know, I recognized in her, I've, I've heard some of the rumors about her being jealous and um, just all kinds and a sundry of different, of, of different rumors and, and uh, nasty things out there about her. But, you know, one thing that I recognized about her is I, re I recognized that she was a very strong woman. She uh, had an opinion and she, she believed what she believed. And, um, you know, she was uh, also a very dedicated person to family. Um, I think that she, the, the, the motivation behind, I think why she came out and she did what she did is hell because she, she loved her family. And I mean, when I say she loved her family, she loved her mother, her father, and she didn't really want a narrative pushed 
about them that was untrue. Uh, certainly with my deceased mother or my father, you know, um, trying to defend them, uh, you know, as, as good human beings as a part of my life, I think that's an honorable and, and honorable thing to do. So I really recognize that in Rosalind's um in her words, I, I felt like she was just trying to set the record straight up. I, uh, I, I didn't really detect any kind of real jealousy towards her sister. I just detected that she was just concerned that her father had been smeared. Um, and I also recognized a, a, a sincere, um, uh, a sincere, um, concern, for native peoples and trying to um, be humble um, and trying to listen to what we were talking to her and then we were, we were saying to her. Um, so I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I do. I do want to say that there, you know, some of, you know, a family member or family members outing a pretending is not new. This happened when somebody, there's a person named Ray, I think that person is a, a professor um, at the University of Kansas. And, you know, um, and I forgot this person's last name, but um, on what I saw, I saw a letter from that person's brother saying, you know, you know, my brother Ray has been pretending to be Comanche, you know, um, and, uh, and, you know, even my mom, wanted me to say something publicly, you know, before she passed away. And, you know, and I saw, I saw this letter and I think back, it was like, I don't know what, what year is this, but even the Comanche tribal government uh, wrote a letter saying that Ray was to the University of, of Kansas, that, you know, he, that person wasn't Comanche, you know? So, you know, the, the story of somebody, you know, coming out and saying, yo, my family member is not, He's not really native. We're not really native. It's not new, right? This is not the first time it has happened. It's not the first time I've seen it, right? So I think, uh, I mean, it, it happens. I said, like I said, it's not the first time. So I don't, I don't even know what to say <laughs> other than that. I mean, like this is not a new phenomenon. So does anybody have anything else to say? I mean, other other than. Um, you know, um, I don't know. This is a, it's really tough because people got really invested in, 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 in you know, Sashin. And there was a panel this weekend uh, about pretendians, and there was a professor uh, that she said that, um, I think Wynonna Wheeler or something like that, said that, uh, you know, that she's been in, 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 you know, academia since the 80s, and there's, She's always dealt with pretendians sometimes, you know, and this is not her exact words, but I'm just paraphrasing that sometimes people that you you feel you 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 see them as native and you find out they're not, and it's, it's you know it's it's hurtful. So I've dealt with that too, you know. And so you know, I, I don't know what to say other than you know, this is gonna happen unless we you know make our sovereignty stronger and make policy and educate people about our sovereignty, edu educate people why this is wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, at CAF, we um, see a lot of genuine fraud, a lot of actual crime. And 
And most people are not aware of it. And, and even Indian people that we talk to, especially if they are on their res and they're kind of just, you know, doing their thing, keeping to themselves. And they're not out in the broader world where these white people are acting like idiots. They don't see the crime that we see until it gets pointed out, you know, but, but, um, but the education is, is key here in that, like we had one case of this white guy. If I remember correctly, he, his family, he and his family were from Missouri, but his name was Crit Calibs. Um, we've already outed him. It's, this is not a secret. And he traveled across the entire country, stopping off at reservations here and there, trying to learn how to be a good pretend Indian, and ended up in Washington State with the Yakima Nation and told them that he was a Cherokee medicine man and elder and, and even though he's a kid and, um, and uh, storyteller. And they embraced him. He had a really good act. He's a good actor, a great liar. And they embraced him and he was fostering their kids and, and embezzling all kinds of money, doing these tribal things that people were getting sucked into. And then he left and took a bunch of money with him. And, and they're like, what the hell happened? And then he went over to Ukraine and did the same thing, taking donations for Ukraine, kept all the money. Now he's doing some new scam, I think, in Oregon, Washington, Oregon. It's just incredible. And then when you try to talk to the people about what he's done and explain to them that he's a, a shyster, um, they're, they're stunned. But, but one person actually out there, actually, I think his name was Michael, actually said to us, and he's a Yakima citizen, he said, oh, we don't have any problem with, with any of this, you know, and, and I said, really? I said, well, what if there was somebody in Ohio who decided to start, you know, claiming to be Yakima and created a Yakima tribe out there and was making a mockery of your language, your ceremonies, your culture, and that wouldn't be a problem? And he said, no, not at all. That would be great. I'm like, well, what would make it great? Oh, well, it would mean there were more Yakima people in the world. And I was stunned. And I said, what would make him Yakima? What would make any of their fake tribe Yakimas? And he said, well, I just assume that if they're claiming it, the creator must have reached down and touched them and made them Yakima. And, and I was like, oh, my God, what do you what do wow. you say to them? What do you yeah. say to that? Wow. I, you I know, mean, I just I mean, wonder what, what, what in the world do you say to that? And, and here's another, you know, just a scenario here, a concept, a philosophy or whatever. Uh, you know, if, if, if everybody again is just Indian and maybe creator puts his finger down and, you know, touches someone and they've decided in their heart that they're native American and this, that, and the other, you know, what does that do to the concept of colonization? I mean, um, I mean, I mean, seriously, if, if, if everyone's right. Indian here, um, and everybody's of native ancestry, uh, going back, um, who, who, who colonized it? I mean, if there's not an, an, an other, or if there's not an us and them, then you know what that means? We're all just, I guess, one. And that's a beautiful concept in some ways, but when you're thinking about, uh, the concept and, and the history of colonization and what happened in the Americas, I'm not really well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, ready and I'm not, um, capable of just adopting the philosophy that, you know, we're all one people and what happened, the pillaging, the raping, the, the theft, 
all of that is just abolished. It's, it's just washed away because everybody now is Indian. I, I'm not ready for that right yet. I, 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 there's, there's some historical trauma that, that I'm having to deal with maybe, but maybe I'm just not, not a good person for thinking that way. But, um, no. you know, really, yeah, who, who we are is, yeah, founded on that. Bypassing. That's spiritual bypass, spiritually bypassing the whole history of colonization and genocide so that you can, and I think that's what the race shifting is often about as well, you know, get, getting mm-hmm. past the guilt and being able to sweep it under the carpet because after all, aren't we all one? No, mm-hmm. jackass, we're not. <laughs> there are yeah. some things that need to be dealt with here. There are some things that need to be talked about. And as Dr. Reyes would say, you know, it, the, that, that old quote, uh, Truth is a preconce- Truth is a precondition to justice, and justice is a precondition. Mm-hmm. So, if we ever want any healing to actually occur, there has to be some justice, and that's not going to happen mm-hmm. with the uh, with the oppressor suddenly becoming one of us magically. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I do have a comment. Yeah, I do have a comment. You, I know you brought up Liana. You brought up Crit, which is the biggest irony because my my personal friends dealt with that person and there was a lot of fraud by crits right and yep. there yeah the investigation and i know you know it's wild because this you know indian country is a very small place when something happens it, it goes all over the place and i think uh pretendians sometimes go from community to community to exploit uh or extract information or or yep. knowledges or you know ceremonies and to me, I found it weird that, you know, you, you told me you you spoke to the Yakima person and they said they had no problem with it. When I know my personal friends that worked with Kurt had a big problem with him and they were Yakima, right? Oh, yeah. Let, let me, don't let me, don't let me misspeak. There yeah. are plenty of Yakima tribal citizens who are pissed. They're, yeah, at, really pissed at, at all his theft and fraud. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying that it's a small world, you know, when it comes to pretendians, because, yeah. you know, like, like, like we, we said earlier, like it's if we really want to know somebody's, you know, you know, uh, community or family, you know, we can just be like, hey, you know, um, who are you? Who's your community? Blah, blah, blah. And that's it. And OK, cool, whatever. But uh, some people like to change that story. And I think that's what happened with with Marie Cruz. He went from White Mount Apache, and that's a federally recognized community, to Yaki from here in the U.S., Joe's community, to Yaki in Mexico, to having an ancestor from 1810 that was Yaki. And it's like, yo, which one is it? You know? And it's my real question. It's like, if, if it's not, if she wasn't part of a community, then we have to evaluate what, what that means to indigeneity. You know, or her claiming to indigeneity and her, be, you know, being a pretendian, and you know, and we have to listen to her sister's side of the story, <clears throat> and we have to, you know, it, this is this is just this is part of our history now, you know, and I think you know, a hundred years from now, when we're all gone, you know, people are going to be talking about this, and they're going to, you know, analyze the situation. Hopefully, our sovereignty is stronger by then. You know, we're not living under some of the colonization, but. You know, I think, um, I don't know, I think we should close it up soon. 
uh, you know, adding this part to the, the interview is going to make it like three hours. So um, does anybody have closing comments for people that are listening? Because people that are listening most likely are going to be native and non-native. So mm-hmm. um, Liana, do you have any closing uh, comments before we leave? Well, what's the remind me here? What what would you like the focus of this podcast to be on? What would be the most helpful type of closing comment I could give you? Well, I think I guess I'll make mine first. So I will say, you know, people that are listening, I'm not, you know, if you want to believe Sashin's a native, it's up to you. But you know, we have to understand like um, what indigeneity is. If we read Kim Taber, you know, his work, <clears throat> and we listen to even like uh, tribal governments indigenous governments, right? And what they were there, um, uh, who's a citizen within their own community and who's not, they will tell you that you have to be part of the community, right? You can't just claim here and there. There's always little nuances, of course, the blood quantum, which I don't agree with, right? And I'm against it. But, you know, these are things that we're working, we're working to get rid of it within our, commun- our own communities. But I think every Native person will tell you that mining for an ancestor <laughs> is not a way to to claim indigeneity. It's not, right? right. Um, I think, right. you know, I would, I would uh, um, advise listeners to read Dr. Kim Taber, uh, Cersei Sturm, Daryl LaRoe. Uh, there's also this book, The Neo-Indians by Jax Gelliner. Um, and he's really good about you know pretending this in Mexico and Peru. Um, there is before Mes- before Mestizaje by Ben Missing the Third. Um, there is that article I mentioned. Let me let me pull it up real quick, um, real quick. It's the article by Loris Alberto, Nations and Nationalism, sorry, Nation Nationalisms and Indigenous, the Indian in the Chicano Revolutionary Imaginary that talks about Indigenismo. There's Indian and Nation in Revolutionary Mexico by Alexander S. Dawson. There's Decolonization is Not a Metaphor by Tuckin Yang, right? And you can read all these things and see why it would be problematic for people to claim indigeneity without being part of a community. Mm-hmm. Good point. And I think that's that's the key right there. You know, um, it's been a conversation for a long time, what makes somebody an Indian, you know? Is there such a thing as degrees of being an Indian? Well, to me, that's kind of like the people who say, oh, I'm part Cherokee. Well, which part is that exactly? Is it your little toe? Is it your nose? You know, what is it that makes you a Cherokee? And and granted, like, you know, folks like Joe, you're an urban Indian. You mm-hmm. live in the city, you know, you're you're not on a res. Um, it, you know, so does that make you less Yaki? No. But, but with all of us who claim to be of one tribal nation or another, we all have that in common, that we have the genealogy. It's not from 500 years ago. It's, we have connection to our people and our culture, even if we're removed from it, which could be temporary or for your whole life, you know, but there, there's still that connection, right? There's a tribal nation behind you claiming you as one of them because yep. historically your family has been so yep. 
You know, I think that's that's what we need to really look at. And and you always get the naysayers. Oh, but, you know, oh, you're from the Cherokee Nation. If a mosquito bit you, half of your tribe would be non-tribal members, you know, or, oh, you, you know, what about the five dollar Indians? You know, well, what about this enrollment? What about this? What about that? Again, deflecting from the really basic truth of none of this is going to make you an Indian. Let's focus mm -hmm. on that, shall we? None, none of this makes Sashin Littlefeather, whose real name is Marie Cruz, an Indian. Mm -hmm. Because she had nothing. She had none of it. She, she just simply wasn't. She wasn't a Yaki. She wasn't Apache. There it is. Boom, the end. So, I, yeah, we do. We need to do a lot more educating so that people understand these things and, um, you know, why it matters. And, and the, the academy in this case made such, a, made such a faux pas. The academy made a mistake by acting like racist jackasses years ago. And then they made another mistake by apologizing to a fraud because nobody even bothered to check. You know, hopefully we, you know, that's what we can correct going forward. That kind of thing. That's a good point. Good point. A couple of points I'd like to bring out. Number one, um, I think um, as an urban Indian, as someone who did not grow up in my community or, um, you know, separated from my community to some degree, um, you know, I take every opportunity I possibly can to uplift uh, tribal elders, people who have, have lived in the community, who speak the language, who um, uh, you know, have maintained uh, and, and endured uh, their their uh, connection to the community. Every opportunity I possibly can, I try to uplift these folks. Um, I feel like it's my duty and my responsibility to do that. Now, on you know, on, on my downtime, as as far as being a teacher of Native American studies, generally speaking, you know, I can be Yaki. No one's preventing me from being Yaki. I can practice traditional Yaki ways of thinking and 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 you know, tell uh, younger folks uh, some of our creation stories, uh, the story of the talking tree, and all of these things. You know. Um, I can do that. No one's stopping me from doing that. No one stopped me from reconnecting to my heritage well before I became a tribal citizen, but I was not out in, you know, uh, taking public platform, um, you know, gaining monetarily by claiming to be something that you know, claiming to be Indian. I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that and I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. So, you know, these folks that are out there doing that, I really do question their true intentions are they out yeah. there to try to uplift the community, uh, the native community? Are they up there to try to uphold their rights to citizenship, or are they out there to try to make some damn money uh, and and you know by defrauding people, uh, and they don't give a damn about the uh, the tribal communities? I, I, the actions speak louder than words. So, folks uh, out there who are not native, who might know someone who's out there pretending to be Indian or questionably native, uh, not uh, part of their community and not uh, participating in their community whatsoever. You know, I do, I would like to just get them to ask themselves that question. What are these people's uh, actions really showing? What are they all about? Then the second thing um, that I'd like to, to leave folks with is this idea of, um, you know, I've heard many times people who, um, 
come back at me and my position um, as someone who likes to try to uphold tribal sovereignty uh, in saying that you are accommodating a colonial mindset, a colonial way of being. You know, you're allowing the colonizer to determine who is native and who is not. And that is not uh, exactly true. Uh, they, they need to look into um, the concept of tribal recognition, federal recognition, and uh, they need to ask themselves, you know, um, why uh, do tribes have to be uh, federally recognized? What, what's, the, what's the scoop behind that? Well, a lot, of, a lot of the reasons why fundamentally are based on the fact that there is bad people out there. There are criminals out there that defraud other people. And in Canada, as well as the United States, you know, these individuals uh, have a history of colonizing identity, uh, trying to pretend to be native, making land claims, this, that, and the other. And um, there has to be a way to determine who is and who is not Indian. Because, guys, you know, we are the only ethnic group that I know of that has to uh, formally uh, prove our, who we are and our identity. And a lot of that is based on fiduciary responsibilities, treaties. So, you know, folks, we need to open these books. We need to put our nose in some books. We need to speak to some tribal community members about what it means to be a uh, community member. Um, you know, we certainly, I'm just thinking of the Six Nations people, the Haudenosaunee, and some of their uh, treaty rights to um, not have to pay taxes. And, uh, you know, if, um, again, you know, this is a je just as jeopardized as soon as you throw away the idea that's, that, you know, there's criteria that some people are tribal citizens and some people are not. When you say everybody can be Indian, you know, does that mean that everybody in the state of New York that decides one day they want to be Haudenosaunee, that they can actually not have to pay state taxes or, you know, I mean, really, guys, Defendians, uh, Native peoples, non-Native peoples, we really, really need to think long and hard about that concept of sovereignty and uh, honor tribal uh, rights. I think we need to also look into what is behind uh, federal recognition and the process of, of becoming federally recognized. There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. And currently, there are a couple of groups out there who are trying to circumvent um, the uh, uh, federal recognition process, the more traditional one that uh, most of the 570 plus federally recognized Native groups have of, have abided by. Uh, again, we're talking about a relationship, a government-to-government -government relationship between uh, the federal government and a tribal entity or a nation. Um, so oftentimes with the fiduciary duty and these, these, these concepts of uh, these, uh, uh, these um, promises that were made to Native nations, there has to be a way to determine who those Native nations are. And that relationship is often based on monetary things, something associated with land, resources. Um, and so it's between the federal government of the United States and Native peoples. If we dissolve that and we don't, you know, we, we just think that federal recognition is all garbage, that also does away with the responsibility of the federal government to uphold these treaties and these obligations that they set forth, um, you know, hundreds of years ago with tribal nations and they, they made that promise, and that will really jeopardize that uh, concept. And so, it's a it's a nation it's a it's a government to government relationship, guys. We got to realize that uh, you know these it's it's not about 
just saying, Hey, I can do, uh, do what I want to do. I can make a tribe. I can do what I want to do. And you have to recognize me. It's, it's much more complicated than that. And I, I hope people can, can uh, take the time to really research it before they start to speak out. Because if they don't, they look like, uh, they look like fool, fools, like, like absolute fools. So, so we're going to close it out right now. Uh, we're going to close this out. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, this, all these topics could be, could be, you know, like actual, even like uh, uh, college classes or whole podcasts or whole series, you know, Mexican history, uh, you know, uh, of Silicon Station in Mexico, Indianismo, the, the Silicon Station in the U.S., uh, Native law, <laughs> you know, Native, you know, uh, tribal sovereignty, and, you know, even the topic, you know, of state recognized and all these things are very complex. I would just say, tell people, like, go learn, right? Hear what mm. it, we have to say about it. And, you know, that's it. And at the end of the day, you know, I I, I would I would just advise people to, if you're not part of a community, or if you don't know for sure, don't claim it. Don't claim it, you know, and especially don't monetize it and don't profit off it and don't put yourself in the forefront as you know, speaking for communities. Don't make policy for us. You know, don't don't try to, you know, uh, you know, make uh, try to, you know, uh, what's that word? Um, Try to lead policy to fit your own narrative or Indian policy. Right. Because that's super dangerous. That's where it gets really dangerous. Right. Try to say people that are not native trying to push policy, native policy towards their own narratives is something that's very frightening for me. And this is, we're seeing it right now with ICWA. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people that are trying to move policy to fit their narratives when they're not native is, it's the scariest thing for us. And um, yeah, but you know, this is a good conversation. And like I said, this is going to be the last episode of the year. So I really appreciate everybody's listening. And if I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sick right now. I have a flu. So if I didn't, anybody listening, oh. yeah. So I really appreciate everybody's uh, this year, their, their supports and their, you know, their, their uh, sharing of this podcast. And I, I don't know. I just, I hope people have a good holiday season be safe because there's this is a time for drunk drivers and icy roads, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, thank you very much. Yeah, blessings, thank blessings. So thank you, Rick. Mm-hmm. Happy holidays.